0: Rob, you know, in this recovery that we've been looking for in the movie theater industry to return, you know, we've got the AMC theaters open back up, we've got movies rolling out again, I just got to go and book a theater to go watch Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade, which is one of my all-time favorite adventure movies, it was a lot of fun, but there's been one key glaring thing missing in this theatrical recovery, which has been the presence of Regal Cinemas. Now, of course, Regal is owned by Cineworld in the UK and they have not opened their theaters yet. Well, guess what? It's getting opened now. According to reports, Regal Cinemas is going to reopen in the US with Godzilla vs. Kong starting on April 2nd. Now, Godzilla, this is a little bit odd because Godzilla vs. Kong actually um, is coming out a few days earlier than that. But I think it's coming on the 31st is when they're first going to launch it. But whatever, a couple days later, it's going to be opening up the Regal Cinemas with Godzilla vs. Kong. It will then be open, of course, for things like Mortal Kombat. And they have signed a deal with Warner Brothers that they will play all of Warner Brothers' upcoming slate this year. Then, of course, you're going to see other studios' slates in there as well. Rob, in talking about this, you know, Road to Recovery how significant uh, – we still have a long way to go, but how significant is this particular step of, like, the number two biggest movie theater chain in the world now actually setting a reopening date? How big of a deal is this? I think it's a big deal.
1: You know, I mean, it's, it's definitely a commitment to start up their business again, which means they're going to be hiring people. They have to buy their supplies. They have to pay their rent on time. Uh, I, I think it shows they're, they're turning on their engine of business Which has a lot of ramifications across a lot of different platforms, but most importantly, it's going to get people hopefully back into the theaters as more people get vaccinated. I hope people still stick at home because we got COVID on the rise in some places again. But hey, you know, it's a step in the right direction. I think I'm excited. We don't we don't really have any Regal cinemas around here though, so that doesn't mean I can go see (laughs) Godzilla versus Kong in the theater.
0: They've got that. uh, They do have that great theater down at LA Live down by the Staples Center. That's they have, true. That is that's true. a really nice theater down there, it actually. Is. I've been there for a couple of events. I mean, it's just, it's just the next domino, right? Because we talked about the other day how the national poll was done. The consumer confidence in going back to the theaters is now at a year-long high, which is good. We're seeing theaters again in LA and New York. That was the next step. Getting Regal Cinemas open again is the next step. But of course, like you were kind of alluding to, this is all predicated on people not acting like jackasses, and still taking precautions and being wise and maybe not flocking down to spring break in Florida. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, because it's, it's only going to be as good as we together work towards making it better. And as long as we keep doing the right things, who knows question is for you guys. What do you think about the reopening now of Regal Cinemas and the fact that they're doing with Godzilla versus Kong, which I am literally salivating for. I cannot wait to see Godzilla versus Kong. What do you think about this? Is this a big deal? Is it not a big deal? Is it just a small another step heading in the right direction? What do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's do one more thing off the top that's pretty much connected to that first one. as That is this. As we just mentioned, you know, Regal Cinemas is now going to be reopening, and they signed a deal with Warner Brothers to play all their films, and they're going to start off by playing Godzilla vs. Kong, which is great. But that deal was not the only details in that overall accord. There was another significant detail in that agreement that is going to have longer-term ramifications, and it's basically this. So Warner Brothers announced, we'll still have to see what happens with Dune, but of course, Warner Brothers announced a number of months ago that all of their 2021 films were going to be released in some theaters and on HBO Max on the same day, which caused a lot of filmmakers to be very, very unhappy. That being said, the big question mark has always been what will happen with 2022? Warner Brothers has said that, oh, no, 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 we're only doing this for 2021. We're only doing this thing about HBO Max releases 2021 because of COVID and all that kind of stuff. Well, it turns out they were serious about that because as a part of this deal with Regal Cinemas, Warner Brothers has just now signed an agreement that commits them to releasing their movies, theatrical exclusives for a 45 day theatrical window. Now, Rob, that essentially, you and I have talked about this before because it was also Paramount that had been looking to adjust to a 45 day theatrical window. That, of course, is moving us from what was a 90-day theatrical window, a roughly 90-day theatrical window before. Right. Now they're moving to a 45-day theatrical window. This comes to us from the folks over at Variety who write the following. Cineworld has also signed, Cineworld is, of course, the big UK uh, theater chain, and they own Regal Cinemas. Cineworld has also signed a multi-year agreement under which films from Warner Brother Pictures Group will be exhibited in Cineworld cinemas in the US, that's Regal. As of the, their opening, beginning in 2022, Warner Brothers Picture Group theatrically releases, will have a 45-day window of theatrical exclusivity with certain provisions. For the UK, now this is outside of the US, for the UK, Warner Brothers and World have agreed to an exclusive theatrical window of 31 days prior to PVOD and the extended window of 45 days for films that open to an agreed-on box office threshold, which would mean essentially, Rob, that movies opening in the UK would have to by contract open about 15 days later than they open in the US because they can't go on PVOD in one country and not be they'll they'll just be available everywhere at that point. Right. So this seems like a significant move because I know a lot of people wonder, I myself was wondering if Warner Brothers would try to keep this uh, plan they had in 2021 with putting on HBO Max and in theaters on the same day. They said they wouldn't do it in 2022. I was skeptical about that. I I thought they would try to find a way to do it, but I'm guessing a lot of the pushback they got from their own filmmakers and their partners and the theaters, whatever, seems to have changed their mind. Rob, they've now signed a deal. It's done. The contract is done. They're going to have a 45-day exclusive. What do you think about this step? Is it now just a matter of time before? Because Paramount's done it. We know Sony is in already in negotiations to do it. We've now got Warner Brothers has done it. Um, is this now just a foregone conclusion? How significant of a deal do you think this is?
1: I think it is pretty significant because it shows that the studios have a commitment to at least some kind of a theatrical window. I think it's smart business. I mean, as we were talking about. You know, you simply can't make the economics work if you're going to make if your studios are now in the business of making these tentpole films, whether they're Pixar animated movies, Marvel movies or a Fast and the Furious sequel. These are 150 million to 200 million dollar movies and they need to be theatrically re- released or the economics don't make any sense at all. So I, I think it, it, it is it's shrewd business and it's something that I think needed to happen. And the theater chains needed this kind of a commitment from the studios. And I think the studios really needed to show that they're going to step up and be committed to theatrical releases. Look, 45 days is not a long time. That's the minimum. If they want to keep movies in a theater because they're performing well longer, they can. So I think it's probably a win for everybody.
0: Question is, guys, what do you think about – I think this is actually incredibly significant that uh, this has now been done. The deal has been signed. How do you guys feel about this? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that all down, let's now move into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on The John Campy Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them. Whenever you come across a big story, topic, or issue that you think we should cover as a main topic here in the show, just go anytime, 24-7, over to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by The Cinemike, who writes, it has been reported that Jamie Foxx is set to play Mike Tyson in a limited series. Uh, Antoine Fuqua will direct. I love Antoine Fuqua. Martin Scorsese and Mike Tyson himself are also on board as executive producers. There is no network attached as of the moment. The project was previously developed as a feature film before it became a limited series. What do you think of this news and Fox's casting? Uh, is the shift to limited series a good move? All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in, man. And yeah, here's the thing. I remember, Rob, I was still I may I might have still been at AMC, like let alone Collider. At the very minimum, I was still back at Collider when the news first came out that Jamie Foxx was going to play Mike Tyson. And the news had been that for a long time and it was gonna be a movie. They were gonna do a film of a a Mike Tyson biopic. They were gonna do a movie. Jamie Foxx was attached, and it's been like that forever, like for a long time. Now we finally get some movement on it, and it seems like it's now going to be a limited series. This comes to us from Variety, who writes, the series titled simply Tyson is not currently set up at a network or a streaming service, but will no doubt find one quickly given the names attached to it already. Antoine Fuqua is on board to direct and executive produce via Fuqua Films, uh, with Martin Scorsese also executive producing via uh, Sekelia Productions. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. The series is said to, to span the whole of Tyson's life. I've been looking forward to tell my story for quite some time, Tyson said. With the recent launch of Legends Only League and the excitement from fans following my return to the ring now feels like the perfect moment. You know, Rob, I, I, I've said for a long time that not as problematic as a Michael Jackson biopic, but a, a Mike Tyson biopic was going to be a little bit problematic because there are some significant issues in his life that is going to be interesting to see, you know, uh, with abuse and things like that, if they're going to touch on this in a series that he himself is executive producing. And can you gloss over those things? Can you not, uh, you know, what they're going to do? Basically, though, Mike Tyson is a public figure that has been one of the more interesting, for lack of any other word, interesting public figures inside or outside of sports in a long time. This is a long gestating thing. If they can finally get it done via a series, it seems to make sense. If they actually want it to cover his whole life, it seems like a mini series is probably the better way to go. So I'm curious. At the very minimum, I am extremely curious to see how this turns out. Rob, they're now moving forward with a Mike Tyson biopic series. Antoine Fuqua directing, Marty Scorsese producing. What do you make of this?
1: Well, I mean, with Martin Scorsese producing, he, he, he made Raging Bull about Jake LaMotta, and they certainly yeah. didn't shy away from the domestic abuse in that film. That's true. So, so I would imagine that they want to tell the full story. I bet Mike Tyson does, too. You know, I, I wouldn't imagine that they want to sugarcoat anything because it's all part of a very interesting story. And um, yeah, uh, what do you think, think at it... this
0: point of the casting? I mean, we've we've had a long time to sit on this. What do you think at this point of the casting
1: of Jamie Fox in the role? Oh, I think he's a little old, but he still looks like he can do it. You know, I I, I believe him. I I think that um, uh, I think that definitely he can play the later part of his life. But I think <laughs> it'll probably, I think it'll work. You know, I mean, after all, Scorsese was the guy that made Robert De Niro play thirty. When he was in his 70s.
0: So. Uh, yeah, this is true. This is true. Uh, by the way, uh, uh, Decker uh, or Derek Qatar sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Derek. Well, guys, the question is for you. We have been hearing about this project forever. It's now actually looks like it's finally moving ahead, but instead of as a movie, it's a series. What do you guys think about this? And what do you think about the casting of Jamie Foxx? It looks like that's holding. Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Robbie the Red Ranger who writes... I'm one of those people that signed up for CBS All Access just to watch Star Trek stuff like Discovery and Picard. Paramount Plus looks like they're getting really serious with Halo, Avatar The Last Airbender, and a lot of other stuff. Just read that they're adding another $3 billion to original content. Do you think this show's Paramount is all in on Paramount Plus? All right, thanks a lot for saying that in, Robbie. And look, in the midst of all the streaming wars, one of the more head-scratching entrance has been cbs all access i mean for they launched cbs all access rather early with a stupid name uh, not as bad as peacock but they launched cbs all access with really nothing on it that you couldn't get other elsewhere other than a couple of the big one of course being star trek discovery that was their one big thing as they are now transitioning into paramount plus It is looking more and more like they are actually really dead serious about this. We heard about how, you know, they're going to be bringing uh, Quiet Place over, Top Gun, The New Mission Impossible, I should say, will be coming over and all that kind of stuff. They're getting really serious. And now they're raising even more money for it. This comes to us from Variety who writes, The company is making a significant bet on Paramount+, Plus, promoting it with the tagline, A Mountain of Entertainment, which supersedes the previous a CBS All Access direct-to-consumer service. Of course, just so you guys are clear, Paramount Plus now replaces CBS All Access. These are not two separate things. Paramount CBS All Access is now Paramount Plus. Viacom CBS tallied some 29 million subscribers for its streaming platform, which is more than I thought it would have got, uh, for its streaming platform worldwide as of Q4 2020, and is targeting 65 to 75 million subscribers by 2024. They're also saying, Rob, Within the next couple of years, they're targeting not only bringing over content that's a part of their library, of the Viacom library in, but they say they're targeting $5 billion a year for original programming and content. They're going to be doing this, starting with selling more stocks and more shares. And by the way, their stocks have doubled in the last couple of months. So something is working for them. Their stock value has doubled in the last couple of months. They're selling more stocks to raise $3 billion that's going to be exclusively used for original content on Paramount+. Plus. Rob, we've seen Disney+, Plus, HBO Max, Amazon, whatever, get a much bigger head start. Paramount seems to be serious about this. Do you think they can be a real player in these streaming wars?
1: Well, I mean, you know, as we always say, I think it comes down to one thing, and that's the content they provide, obviously they have access to Paramount pictures, vast back catalog. I hope that they aggressively remaster a lot of their titles, make them available in 4k on the streaming service and in Dolby Atmos and in um, Dolby vision, if they can. And their new programming. I mean, they're doing that series about the making of the Godfather that I want to see. I think it's called the offer. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do. I, I, all I can say, John, is I'm looking forward to seeing some good Star Trek on the platform. I hope Strange New Worlds is great. But um, the, the, that, it, it, like, every, like everything else, they have to have great new content that drives subscriptions.
0: What, what do you think, you know, with the new plan of moving like their their Paramount stuff over to like, things like A Quiet Place, things like the new Mission Impossible, how big of a deal do you think that's going to be for them moving forward?
1: I think it's huge. You know, I mean, it, it's so strange to me that already before they announced this, they sold off, uh, like, Coming to America, the sequel to Amazon. And I would have thought, well, if you have this in the works, why wouldn't you retain, you know, you own Coming to America? Why would you? I guess it's a distribution deal, so they, it'll eventually revert back to them. But I think, you know, Paramount has a great almost 100-year legacy of films. I mean, classic films, the Godfather movies, the Star Trek movies. Chinatown, things like Hunt for Red October, you know, the Tom Clancy movies, the Raiders of the Lost Ark films. I mean, those will probably wind up on Disney, but they are, they were distributed by Paramount and they are putting out the 4Ks. So I think it's really important. I think it's great. You've got, you've got the legacy of a studio behind you. They, they rebranded it the way they should have and made it Paramount plus everyone. The Paramount mountain it doesn't get much better than that. You know, they've leaned heavily into those promos where people are climbing that Paramount mountain, finding Patrick Stewart at the top with champagne for them all. I mean, that's the way to that's the way to brand your um, your new service. I'm excited. I've always loved Paramount. I, I want this to succeed.
0: It'll be interesting to see if they can uh, get some momentum going. They certainly, I'll tell you what, these new ads they were putting out with like all their stars climbing up the snowy mountain and stuff like that, I actually thought those were pretty good. I thought they worked. They've announced that they're here, they're going to be a player. So it's going to be interesting to see. Question is, guys. What do you think about this? Paramount, Viacom CBS is getting serious. They are pouring billions into this thing. They want to be a serious player. Do you think they can be? Is it too little too late? Or do you think, no, you know, John, we're still just at the beginning of this thing. They've got a long way to go. What do you guys think? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number three, shall we? And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Aiden M- Mukeli. I'm going to say Muselli. I'm going to say Muselli. Aiden Muselli writes, Hey, John and Rob. I was like the rest of the planet and stayed up Thursday night to watch the premiere of Falcon and Winter Soldier. I guess it really was almost everyone else because they just announced it had a bigger audience than any other Disney Plus debut yet, including WandaVision and Mandalorian. Do you think the audience will continue to grow with each episode like WandaVision did? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. I appreciate that. And yeah, a lot of us, a lot of people were looking forward to the debut of Falcon and Winter Soldier and to seeing if they can follow up on the success that they had with WandaVision. And apparently the answer to that question is yes. As Disney put out a press release yesterday that I got just before we started the show, uh, basically saying, This was the biggest debut we've ever had. This comes to us from Deadline, who writes, Disney Plus says that the Falcon and the Winter Soldier ranks as the most watched series premiere ever for the streaming service during its opening weekend, Friday, March 19th through Sunday, March 22nd, and the most watched title overall for the same period on a global basis, including in Disney Plus Hot Star markets. All right. On the one hand, this sounds really great. sounds really great. I mean, you launch bigger than Wandavision did, great, because Wandavision was a big launch. You launch bigger than Mandalorian did, great. It's the biggest launch. You come out and say, "This is the biggest launch we've ever had." On um, we, this is the biggest launch we've ever had on Disney Plus. That's great, and that's impressive. If Disney Plus had been around for twenty years, I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to downplay. The significance of Falcon and Winter Soldier launching bigger than Mandalorian did. I'm not trying to downplay that. I'm not trying to downplay saying the fact that they're saying it launched bigger than WandaVision did. I'm not trying to downplay that. But this thing about when your service has been around for one year, saying it is the all-time biggest launch we've ever had. Notice, though, that like Amazon, like Netflix, like HBO Max, they didn't actually release specific numbers. They just wanted to come out and say and spin this the best way they could by saying it's the biggest we've ever had. And, and of, of course, it's the biggest they've ever had. I, I, the thing is growing and they're building momentum. So, Rob, I'm not trying to poo-poo on this. I'm not trying to rain on their parade. It's great. It's impressive. It's good. It's all good news. But, I mean... The whole verbiage of it's our all-time biggest thing when you've only really launched a couple of premium series. I mean, it's as bigger than Mandalorian and, and WandaVision. Well, those are the only ones you've really ever had. So I don't know. I, I think you got to be happy with it. I think you got to be pleased. But it's probably going to be a long time before we know what the actual numbers are. Rob, were you surprised to hear about this? And do you think it's a big deal?
1: Well, no, because they've had more subscribers than they've ever had before. So it makes sense that that it was a bigger debut than WandaVision or Falcon uh, than uh, Mandalorian, because when Mandalorian debuted, they had millions and millions and millions of less subscribers. Now they have more subscribers than they've ever had. So I would assume just that, of course they had the biggest debut ever because there's more people watching Disney plus than ever before. So look, it's a win. Sure. More people are tuning in, but I would assume if they didn't have bigger numbers then they're doing something then the show would have been yep. bad because you know and and look everyone always looks at numbers and i it's it's fine but you you have to understand what statistics tell you really and to me it's like i would have expected nothing less from this show and again i really really was impressed with the first episode of Falcon Winter Soldier and I, but again uh, how many more tens of millions of subscribers does Disney Plus have now than when The Mandalorian's first season debuted? A lot more. So, of course, they have more subscribe- or more uh, people watching.
0: And it's been a year. Here's But here's the interesting part of the question, though. With WandaVision, we saw this fanatical growth week after week after week because everybody talked about it, buzzed about it got more people on board, and then they launched the next episode. Everybody talked about it, buzzed about it, more people got on board, and the next episode got bigger. I think it was by week four or five it was the number one show in the world. Do we think Falcon and Winter Soldier can have that same kind of trajectory? Because I think the biggest problem they're going to have mimicking that same kind of trajectory that WandaVision had was that a lot about WandaVision was mystery, Right? And nothing sucks in an audience quite like mystery. And Mm -hmm. I don't know that this is the same. I don't know that this is going to have that same kind of element to it, but it'll have that same mystery element to it like a WandaVision did. So I think it's going to continue to get bigger every week. I think it's going to be incredibly successful. I don't know if it's going to have that same incredibly steep upwards curve that WandaVision had. I don't know. What do you think about that?
1: Well, it depends. I mean, you know, I, I think I, I don't know why, but in my mind, I keep comparing this to the BBC series Bodyguard that starred um, the guy who played Rob Stark, Richard Madden, who's also in Eternals. Yes. Uh, and it was a six episode show and I was hooked on it. You know, the, the plot itself, it it was it was kind of a mystery, but it was this propulsive action plot driven story that I was really caught up in. And I could see this happening to that. I mean, I think we'll know after the second episode, they're going to up the stakes. I think there's going to be a lot of revelations. And if they make it that way, if it's a lot lot along, like the story's not like Bodyguard, but I'm using it as a sort of a political action thriller uh, with a hero at the center of it. It, That's kind of what it reminded me of. So I'm going by that. But I remember watching, I couldn't get to the next episode fast enough. And if Falcon, Winter Soldier, they've done all the setup. The next episode's really got to be, it's really got to be involving from a plot standpoint. We've got these guys' characters pretty well defined, better than they've ever been defined before. So I'm on both of their sides. But now I want to be, be immersed and drenched in a plot that is just, I can't wait for the next installment. Question is, guys, what do you think about
0: this? Disney's saying it's their biggest premiere ever. Does that really mean a hell of a lot for a, for a service that's only been around a year and has more subscribers now than it did? Do you think that this thing can have the same type of rocket-like trajectory in numbers that WandaVision did, or do you think it'll be a little bit more modest? How do you guys see this playing out? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number four, shall we? and our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Kevin Yu who writes Warner Media CEO Anne Sarnoff did an interview with Variety dealing with the future of the DCU after the release of Zack Snyder's Justice League in the interview with Variety Sarnoff says that Zack completed his tr- his trilogy let me try this again. Sarnoff says that Zach completed his trilogy of DC films and that the DCU will expand with new characters and stories going forward, with no plans to go back to Snyder or do the Air Cut of Suicide Squad. Uh, Sarnoff also denounces the toxic side of the Snyder fandom and Ray Fisher's allegations against Walter Hamada. What did you make of this bomb-dropping interview? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, Warner Media CEO and Sarnoff did come out, did this interview with uh with warner media uh, talking about a number of different things one which we'll just touch on here for a moment that i I thought was pretty interesting was they straight up asked her are is it possible we can get more like the director cuts specifically the air cut of suicide squad to which she said, just directly, very short. Nope, we have no plans to to go and do that. That that's not something that we're going to be doing. There's not going to be an air cut. So that was a very very short conversation. I honestly don't know of a lot of people. Like it's not like th- there was there was numbers of people who wanted a sniper cut. I don't. I've never sensed any sort of significant numbers of people who actually wanted an air cut. Not to mention David Ayer said he's indifferent towards it anyway. He doesn't really care. So I don't. I don't. So it's not really big thing to hear about that. The prime thing, of course, has been whether or not we would see Snyderverse continue. Now, look, what we've been saying around here is just all we have to go on is what has Warner Brothers said and what has Zack Snyder said. And they have been saying the same thing. Zack Snyder said that he has no direct quote. He has no plans to do any further DC movies. Warner Brothers said this is a cul-de-sac that the Snyder cut was a cul-de-sac. Move on. They each could change their tune. They could change their tune. That's just what they're saying. That's what Zack Snyder said. That's what Warner Brothers said. And we'll leave it at that. But apparently now it looks like Warner wanted to put kind of a final stamp on it to say, look, just so we're not creating false expectations, just so we're not creating false hope or whatever, we just want to be clear. We're moving on from Snyder Cut stuff now and the Snyderverse stuff, and we're going in our new direction. This is what uh, came to us from Ann Sarnoff. This is, of course, in the interview in Variety where they write, she says, I appreciate that they love Zack's work. Talking about those supporters of the Snyder Cut. I appreciate that they love Zack's work, and we are very thankful for his many contributions to D.C., We're just so happy that he could bring his cut of the justice league to life because uh, that wasn't in the plan until about a year ago. With that comes the completion of his trilogy. We're very happy. We've done this, but we're very excited about the plans we have for all the multidimensional DC characters that are being developed right now. That of course comes to us from Ann Sarnoff. So they're basically putting that to bed and they're saying that we're moving on from this. Now, This really shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. And again, in a world where Jamie Foxx is coming back to play Electro, of course, anything is possible, regardless of what Snyder is saying right now, regardless of what Sarnoff is saying right now, regardless of what Warner Brothers is saying right now. And we live in a universe where anything is possible. That said, let's move off of possibilities onto probabilities. It seems that they're moving on. And really, some people are scratching their head and saying, well, why would that be? If you're a Warner Brothers executive, this really makes common sense. Because as we've talked about before, regardless of of whatever the response has been uh, to Snyder Cut at this point, Rob, the reality is Warner Brothers, from their point of view, they did several Zack Snyder movies and they did not get the results they wanted. They didn't get the critical responses they wanted, they didn't get the audience responses that they wanted, and they didn't get the financial results that they wanted. And here's the other thing you've got to keep in mind if you are uh, somebody who's a Warner Brothers executive. The fact of the matter is, when you look at those criteria, financial success, critical response, all that kind of stuff, when you look at the three most successful DCEU films, none of them are Zack Snyder's films. Now, to me, clearly, the best DCEU film is Man of Steel. Zack Snyder, to me, gave us the best movie in the DCEU. Hands down, nothing else comes close. But if you're Warner Brothers and you're looking around you're saying, okay, we did some, some Snyder films, we didn't get the results we wanted. Our three most successful films are films that Zack Snyder wasn't involved in. You just got to understand it's. they just decide it's time to move on. I may not like it, Rob. I've said for a long time I would give a pinky finger to get a, man, a true, p- proper Man of Steel too. I would give a toe to see a Ben Affleck written by, directed, and starring in Batman movie. But it's not my company. And all I'm saying is you have to look at it from their point of view, that the black and white on the paper – Seems to make it pretty interesting. One other thing we'll talk about here just for a second, just because they brought it up in the question. Um, Sarnoff, the Warner Media CEO, also did make reference of, you know, every fandom, Rob, doesn't matter if it's Harry Potter, Star Wars, uh, DC, or Marvel, every fandom has a toxic side. Every, every, every single one does. If you think your fandom doesn't, you're you're delusional. Every single fandom does. But... Sarnoff wanted to directly specifically talk about the one they've had in D.C. for a while, and she said this, we're not tolerating any of that. That behavior is reprehensible no matter what franchise you're talking about or what business you're talking about. It's completely unacceptable. I'm very disappointed in the fans that have chosen to go that negative place with regard to D.C., With regard to some of our executives, it's just disappointing because we want this to be a safe place to be. We want DC to be a fandom that feels safe and inclusive. We want people to be able to speak up for the things they love, but we don't want it to be a culture of canceling things that any small faction isn't happy with. We are not about that. We are about positivity and celebration. And of course, the other day, Zack Snyder himself kind of disavowed, Rob, uh, another site um he's saying hey listen just you know i have nothing to do with all the hate side of this thing i want this to be about positivity blah blah we're hearing sarnoff now speaking about that as well so i thought that was interesting rob i think it's safe to say both you and i maybe on different levels like i want to see man of steel i want to see nobody to me has done batman on screen as good as as, uh, as zach snyder has like I've said for a long time, the Ben Affleck iteration of Batman in Batman vs. Superman is my all-time favorite on-screen iteration of Batman. Henry Cavill is my all-time favorite Superman. These are both done by Zack Snyder. I think both of us, to some degree, would like to see other stuff. But let me ask you, if you're in the boardroom of Warner Media and the topic comes up of understanding all the facts and numbers in front of you, do we move forward and make more movies like these, or do we go in these other directions that have won us Oscars and got us billion-dollar films. What do you add to that conversation in that boardroom if you're there?
1: Well, you know, again, in a way, with this Flash movie, including Ben Affleck, that is an extension of the Snyderverse, whether you want to call it that or not. It certainly is, but it's in the multiverse. I would kill John to see that Deathstroke versus Batman movie that Ben Affleck was going to make. Oh, that
0: would be so good.
1: And the Snyder Cut left me... Like look, fighting against dark side, I love the fourth world, I love Kirby's creations. That's all fine. But really what I wanted to see at the end of Justice League and I I liked it very much was I wanted to see The Terminator versus Batman. We kept hearing when that film was being developed how good the script was. I'd love to see Ben Affleck directed, especially if it was more of a a crime thriller kind of a thing like he was doing in 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 The Town and also in Live by Night and um with the first film you made, I, why am I drawing a blank on it? But the the that first film, I really like that as well. And if that's an extension to me, I wouldn't limit yourself by saying, "Well, the Snyderverse is dead." I understand they probably can't make another Justice League movie. It's especially not now because you're looking at we were talking about this earlier $300, a three hundred dollar a three hundred dollar a three hundred million dollar expense. They can't justify making a movie that costs that much, and that's the kind of that's kind of money you're looking at if you're going to get all these actors together and make these films. I mean, they, they can make an Aquaman 2 and be pretty much assured they're going to make another billion dollars. So uh, while I think that maybe the Snyderverse is dead, I could see them making offshoots of that Snyderverse with other people. And the, it always comes down to, with me as I tell you, great characters and a great story. If they've got great scripts about these characters, I think they'll make them. You know, great, great, great scripts, great filmmakers, great characters. And I don't I don't think we're going to see another Justice League movie, but we got Ben Affleck in the Flash film and Ezra Miller is in the Flash film. So that, by definition, is kind of a
0: and, and Iris West, who who was right. in the thing is in the Flash films. They Remember, Rob, there were stories already written that. Henry Cavill, that we'll see if these pan out, but there were stories in the major trade saying Henry Cavill had already signed up to do a couple of appearances as Superman in a couple of other films. That is an extension. So even if they say the Snyderverse is done, we're gonna see we're gonna see extensions and legacy, if you will, of Snyderverse still continue on. Because you, you we got Ben Affleck come back. Now it's now they're saying Michael Keaton may not come back, but we'll we'll talk about that another time, I suppose. But we got Ben Affleck come back. We're probably going to see Henry Cavill again, even if it's not in the new overall Superman movie. So we're going to continue to see that legacy to some yeah. degree. Um, yeah. I don't see them deviating from that too much. I don't see them. There was a time, Rob, that I thought they should have rebooted the DCEU a number of years ago. I think they're past that point now. I, I don't think they need to anymore with the success they've been having recently. How, nope. What do you think?
1: No, I agree. And this emphasis on the shared universe, now they're they're just like, you know what? We have a multiverse now. We're going to do Matt Reeves' Batman. We're going to do James Wan's Aquaman 2. We're we are going to make Andy Muschietti's The Flash. By the way, Iris West, could there have been a cuter girl on screen? I, I don't think so. I can't wait to see her come back. I hope they have a great romantic When Harry Met Sally-esque relationship. I would watch Ezra Miller and her... Travel around the world if he never puts on the flash costume. But um, that's just me. I, I think it's great. I think it's it's we're gonna get a bunch of different movies that'll probably be looked at, like you said, Joker, billion dollars. Aquaman two, a billion dollars. We got Black adam starting to shoot next week. Whether it's part of the DCEU or not, I'm all there for that. I can't wait to see Dwayne The Rock Johnson is. As Black Adam. I mean, he looks exactly like an Alex Ross painting from the Kingdom Come miniseries. So what's not to love there? Oh, I could see that movie making a billion dollars So, if the theaters are open. So I, to me, what's more interesting to me is are we going to get great movies? And that's what I'm – it sounds to me like with the diversification of the multiverse, we might be getting some really interesting stuff. And that's exciting to me.
0: Yeah, I, I and again, I think that's the important. You raise a really great point, Rob, when you talk about the fact that, you know, the role they have, two billion dollar films that they've got under their belts now, one of which one was the first comic book film to win a major Academy Award with yep. Best Actor. um uh, Well, I guess no. I guess you could say Heath Ledger was one of the major ones who won Best Supporting Actor. Joaquin Phoenix wins Best Actor. Their first huge critical smash was, of course, the first Wonder Woman film, which I think got into the, like, 90s in the critic ratings and stuff like that, made over $800 million at the box office. They've got The Rock coming. They've got this Green Lantern project they're talking about coming. There's a lot of things that a lot of people are excited about right now, and it's going to be interesting to see how things go. But again, we do live in a world where Jamie Foxx is coming back as Electro. So never, never say never. (laughs) But it, it looks like they are moving on. Question is, guys, for you, What do you think about this interview with the head of Warner media and the direction they're saying they're going in? Do you want like a man of steel to like I do, if you were Warner brothers executive, could you understand the black and white facts of the situation? Would you proceed anyway? Could we see a divergence of HBO max with its own standalone stuff versus uh, there's a lot of possibilities here. What do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with all that down and out of the way, Let's move on and start taking your live comments and questions and seeing what you guys have to say about all this kind of stuff. Once again, if you want to send one in for the video today or a companion video coming up quickly, simply use the link that's in the description below or enter it in manually at streammoments.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it is appropriate. And of course, we'll be supporting the show at the same time. So for now, let's get on over and start taking your live questions. And we're going to start things off here with Steven who writes uh, thoughts on Superman's fight scene versus Steppenwolf in uh, Zack Snyder. Wait a sec. Did I I get the right one? I don't have the right one. I'm sorry about that guys. I totally brought up the wrong thing. Give me a second here. Give me a moment because I lost. I totally lost my uh, I lost. I brought up the wrong chart. That was from the companion video yesterday. This is the one we're supposed to be on. I was like, wait a minute, that, that question looks familiar. This is the place we're supposed to be. Okay, let's try this again, shall we? Uh, we're going to go with Anonymous, who writes, I had a nightmare where Mando and Grogu make out in the finale. Critics and fans, and you, love this bold, creative decision as Grogu is older than Mando. I was the only one disgusted and was silenced by the Disney overlords. I need to go back to taking my meds. I mean, that's an itch. You know it's Rob? It's the reverse it's the reverse discussion I was having the other day with me and Kimberly uh, Kern were having about, you know, in uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. D- does Bucky have an obligation to reveal to this girl he's on a date with that? No, really. I'm 106 years old. I am old enough to be your great, great grandfather. Does he have that obligation? And then, of course, the Grogu thing. Well, technically, Grogu's like six times or, or probably double the age or almost double the age Mandalorian. It brings up fascinating questions. All right. Next up. Uh, we go to Casey the Sledge Storyteller writes, Hey, John, uh, want no Back to the Future remake, but after seeing my kids' reactions, I so badly want to see some movie made of today's teens stuck in the 80s uh, to the shock of living with just physical broadcast media, landline phones, etc. You with me. I mean, fish-out-of-water stories, Rob, are always fun. Yep. Um, but, I mean, we already kind of had that with like that that 70s show and we've already kind of had a little bit about that i mean i remember i was talking to a buddy of mine the other day i we remember the first time we played wolfenstein 3d (laughs) and the fact that he had to he had one of those things where you had to put your phone receiver on the modem to connect up and it's like woo. That's going about I feel like we do get a lot of content like that. What what do you think? You think you could see like a reverse back to the future movie? Or maybe Doc sakes, some kids back to the 80s? I don't know. What do you think?
1: Well, I guess having lived through all that, I'm like, it it, it wouldn't I, I don't think it would really um you know, a lot of the audience would be like, okay, you know, we 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 live through it. So I get you didn't, but would that be that compelling? You know, I I, just with a lot
0: of other stuff being done in that vein, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, how many YouTube videos can you watch of kids being handed something? What is this? Do you know how to make it work? And it's like a Walkman, right? I don't know. You
0: know, those were gold as a kid, Sony Walkman, those were gold. All right, next up. they were gold. Uh, Kara Black writes. With She-Hulk coming to M- to the MCU next year and becoming prominently featured on the film side as well going forward, I'm curious if this could eventually lead to Secretary Thunderbolt Ross becoming Red Hulk and or Betty Ross returning as She-Hulk. Rob, that is a question. The Betty Ross side has been actually one that's been brought up a lot over the years. Ever since Mark Ruffalo came in and took over Hulk and we had Avengers, and it's like, where's Betty Ross? Where's Liv Tyler? I mean, we could see that. I don't know that they'll ever do the Thunderbolt Ross as Red Hulk thing. I I kind of feel like they're not going to go. That doesn't mean we couldn't ever get a Red Hulk story, but I don't think they're going to do it with Thunderbolt Ross at this point. I would personally love to see Liv Tyler come back as, as, uh, as Betty. I think that could be really interesting for Hulk at this point. I know Rob, what do you think the chances of that are?
1: Mm, well, like we said with electro coming back, never say never, but, I think probably pretty slim or maybe they'll recast, but Betty Ross could come back. I mean, the way the Marvel cinematic universe works, you just never know who's going to show up. So, I mean, I would like to see all that, all that stuff to me could be interesting character dynamics and there could have been, uh, could be a lot of fun stuff. Um, you, you know, now we're getting Jane back in the new Thor movie. You just, you just never know who they're going to bring back, but, as long as it's written well, I'm there for it.
0: All right, next up, uh, we've got Maxi O who writes, I watched the Snyder Cut. I liked Snyder Cut, but holy shit, I haven't seen this much overpraising of a pretty good movie since Avatar. Well, I mean, like, it's all subjective, dude. Like, just because, yeah, I mean, look, I thought it was very good. Like, I thought it was very good. Like, I do I think it's the best DCU movie? No, that's Man of Steel. And I, I still put Wonder Woman and Shazam ahead of it, but I put it ahead of Aquaman. But the thing is, all film is subjective. I mean, just because it didn't hit you as strongly as it hit some other people doesn't mean it's not legitimately hitting other people that strongly. So, and the same is true of Avatar. I mean, the same is true of that. So I get it. You liked it, but that's the important thing, right? At least you liked it. And that's the important thing. All right, next up. Uh, Josh writes, uh, one of Marvel's greatest strengths is its small character moments. Tony and Steve on the farm. That was a good moment. Uh, Vision and Ultron talking human existence or just the small look happy gives Peter as he's building his new Spidey suit. Uh, What is your favorite character moment? In the MCU? I mean, I think for me, and I think this is one of the overall best moments in the MCU ever, and it's not... The airport scene, although I, I I totally love the airport fight scene in Civil War. It's not portals in Endgame. I, I think maybe my favorite moment in the MCU is um, that moment just in space. It's just Groot or not Groot. It's uh, Rocket talking to Thor and Thor running down all the losses in his life. I've lost this. I'll have this, this. Now I got to go do this. And And Rocket says to him, and what if you're wrong? And Thor, played brilliantly by Chris Hemsworth, says, then what else do I have to lose? And I just remember sitting in the theater going, in this Marvel universe of these huge epic battles and these larger-than-life characters, that might be my favorite moment ever uh, in an MCU film. But, Rob, if when you think of like just really good character moments in the MCU, what jumps out to you? What do you think
1: about? Well, I like Thor and Groot. You know, to, uh, Thor, pardon me, Thor and Rocket talking right. in the, the, you know, that ship is is such a great when, when, and I love the moments when Rocket is lamenting about himself and how he's been treated.
0: Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. That life. part too. That, I like that, that was part. in what,
1: Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I, 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 mean, I, I did love that. Um, but I, there's so many, I love the scene, you know, my, one of my favorite scenes in any of the Marvel movies is the, is the Avengers party scene in the age of Ultron.
0: Oh, that is so good.
1: I mean, the, that whole sequence, everything from Stan Lee's cameo to making the Captain, uh, Captain America m- almost being able to pick up Mjolnir and, and the conversation that, that Banner has with, uh, with, um, uh, with Scarlet, Scarlet Witch. Uh,
0: or Scarlet Witch, uh, Black Widow. Uh,
1: uh, Black Widow. Dude, when I mean, she
0: says that story to him, she goes, I knew this guy, I, knew a lot, I know a lot of guys who are always ready to run into the fight. And then I meet this guy who runs away from the fight because he knows he'll win. I'm like yeah. that
1: is like one of the best lines. Yeah, I mean that stuff is is gold, and and I I uh, I, I love all that, and I think that um, there's there's so much of it. That's why we keep watching these films. I think that's why they're so in, endearing to everyone is that they have the great combination of of pathos and characterization and the comic book action that we crave. And I think that you know it doesn't. People talk about how the Marvel Cinematic Universe is like this cookie cutter easy to do thing and I'm like your people are out of your minds to make this sustain over 23 now 24 movies and now two tv series and more coming it is not easy to do and the fact that we love these characters and we know these characters you know when Captain America says on your left or Tony Stark says I am Iron Man and snaps his fingers this stuff was earned man yeah it was earned and it's not easy to instill such uh, affection in an audience for these characters over the better part of, well, we're 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 up almost at fifteen years, and that's amazing. Although I
0: I do gotta say because we've been talking about Snyder Cut, I gotta say, one of my it's it's gotta be a top three, it's gotta be a top three, all time favorite moment in any superhero movie, it's gotta be coming out of the scenario. I'm not saying it's one of the all-time best scenes, but I'm just saying for me, it's one of the all-time greatest moments in a comic book movie, is the scene uh, near the end. It's the battle they're having in Russia, and uh, Steppenwolf is about to drop the axe on Cyborg from behind, and Superman, I'm getting excited just thinking about it. Superman flashes in, and he doesn't block. I love this. He doesn't block the shot like he doesn't push cyborg out of the way. So cyborg doesn't get hit. He doesn't grab Steppenwolf's arm so he can't swing the axe. He just stands there and lets the axe hit him and bounce off him. And he goes, bitch, although he didn't say that audibly, but I bet it was in the original (laughs) script. I I bet Superman says, bitch, I'm Superman, and then beats the shit out of him. One of the top three greatest moments in comic movie. I just, I, I like, literally was celebrating by myself because I was no one else was there when I was watching it for the first time. But man, I just, I lost my mind. But I know that's not a character moment. But I just, it's great. I, I just love it when Superman's treated right. I just love it when Superman is treated right. Anyway, uh, let's move on here, shall we? Uh, Doctor Zivago writes. I know you're married, but curious to know who you and your wife would want to go on a fantasy celebrity dates with if you had ever, if you had never met each other. Um, Well, I think for me, that's it. For me, that's easy Uh, because every Rob, every merit's got the hall pass every year. You got got your (laughs) list. You got your exception list. You got your hall pass list. Uh, I think for me, I think for both Ann and I, it's pretty easy. I know Ann's would be Justin Timberlake. Cause like there's there's Anne actually has this newspaper clipping, like this front page newspaper clipping of her and her friend Jay Lynn, who came with us to go see uh Indiana Jones the other night. But her and her friend Jay Lynn as like grade school girls getting ready to go to a what was the name of his band? Back no they weren't Backstreet Boys. What was Justin Timberlake's band? N Sync? Uh, yeah, it was N yeah. Uh with like tickets to see N Sync. And it's like and they were so like, she's been for me. I mean, like every guy I've had a lot of celebrity crushes, but I think my longest term celebrity crush, um, is Jennifer Garner. It's, it's one of the reasons why for so long I had to tip the cap and bend the knee to Ben Affleck. Um, but yeah, (laughs) I think Jennifer, Jennifer Garner would probably, would probably be, uh, my, my all time celebrity fantasy date. That would be my, that would be my, what about, do you got one, Rob?
1: Well, I, you know, Sharon Stone's circa basic instinct, as long as she Whew. didn't run me through with an ice pick.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 I put a little, got a little, put a, a little asterisk on that. And got, then
1: I, I got to say, to be honest, I, Kate Winslet. Or, oh, uh, she's amazing. Yeah. I, I'm just a, such a, I'm very enamored of her. And then, uh, of course, uh, you know, any redhead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then any redhead there we go and we're good to go
1: jessica chastain you know
0: all right let's move on here next up is ryan loner who writes kate kane is now being recast after all it's almost like they could have just done that in the first place and saved themselves a ton of trouble but what do i know again we were talking about this the other day i it is one of the most confounding decisions i've ever seen in television it's like okay so you lost the lead actress whether you got rid of her or whether she chose to leave whatever But instead of just recasting the role, you got rid of the character as well and created this... It was just really one of the most confounding decisions I've ever seen a TV network make. Anyway, Jordan RTK writes, Do you actually believe DC and Warner Brothers have any actual sense of direction? For example, uh, do you think they have a Feige-esque five-year plan for their universe over the last few years? I just feel like they are winging it as they go along and it worries me. Well, Jordan, you know that 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 has been my criticism... As much as I love Warner Brothers, that has been my criticism of them for a long time, up until a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago, I started to feel like, like once they actually brought in a new sheriff, you know, once they brought in Walter Hamada, who's not like the he's not like president of everything like Kevin Feige is. But I felt like once they brought him in, and Rob, especially, I remember you and I talking after the DC fandome event. Yeah. And hearing Walter Hamada talk about what their universe is now, and where they're going. It, I, I got to tell you, I feel more comf- comfortable and confident that they have a sense of where they want to go and what they're doing than I ever have before because they, they, they've always been extremely reactionary. And to a degree, they still are a bit, but that DC fandom event, I, I think, put where they are as a company in a whole new light and it made me feel very confident that I think they know what they're, at least what they want to do. Now, not everything's going to work. Not everything Kevin Feige has done has worked. Iron Man 2, anybody? But I mean, so not every, everything that Marvel's ever done has ever worked. I don't think everything they're going to do is going to work. But I, DC fandom really brought me around a lot on feeling like they've got at least an idea and a North Star. That's it. I feel like they've got a North Star now, Rob. How do you feel about it right now?
1: No, I agree. And look, Walter Hamada, watching him speak, he is an incredibly, obviously, incredibly intelligent guy. I thought he was very impressive. And um, you know, I, I do think they've got directions. And the fact, look, the things that give me the most um, confidence is movies like Joker and Aquaman, both DC movies, couldn't have been more different. I mean, one, Aquaman embraced the crazy fantasy element of all that. And I, as you know, you saw it with me. I loved it. And then Joker, dark, 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 the ills of society. I mean, and they didn't shy away from either approach. And they're diametrically, so far apart from one another, opposed. And yet it worked. And I think that if that's their commitment, instead of building a cinematic universe, they're going to give us unique visions of all their characters. I would expect that Matt Reeves' Batman is going to be something different than we've seen before. And I'm sure for that reason, we're going to go, oh, because now they're sort of untethered from the idea that everything has to work together. And I think that's great because Marvel's doing it so well on their end. DC needed to forge its own path and getting, you never know what you're going to get with them. You know, you're going to get something interesting, unique and a a unique vision. It doesn't have to all fit together. All they have to do is make great movies. And I'm, I'm hoping that's how they move forward. And it sounds to me that they are going to do just that.
0: All right. Well said. Next up, we got not Sam Wilson writes. Hey, JC and Rob. This weekend, an employee who is a go go woke go broke kind of guy uh, said to me, "If they can make Falcon the new Captain America, why can't they make Bucky the new Black Panther?" Really? I wanted to fire him on the spot. Some people make my blood boil. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, I I would throw this back. There are some characters. Very few. There's not many. There are a couple of characters out there that I think their um, ethnicity is core and essential to who and what that character is, but there's not many. Black Panther is one. I would fire back. i say, no, that's a stupid comparison, but Bucky can become the new Falcon. I I, I honestly don't feel like, in the same way that I don't feel like Superman, his ethnicity, the the color of this alien organism's skin has nothing to do with the core essentials of what Superman is. I feel the same way about Falcon. I mean, you could literally get a, a, a white guy to play Falcon because I don't believe Sam being African-American is at all part of the core essential elements of who and what make that character who he is. Uh, now, I'm saying this before watching the entirety of Falcon and Winter Soldier. Right. But up until this point, there's nothing about Sam's ethnicity that him being black is core and essential to who and what he is. And therefore, I think you could get an Asian guy to play the role or you could get a white guy. So that's what I personally would have fired back with myself. But that's just me. All right, next up. Uh, Nat Sam Wilson also writes, one of two. Falcon and Winter Soldier Episode 1 was everything I hoped for. Sam got his chance to really shine and show he can he can be more than Cap's sidekick and we got to see Bucky become more three-dimensional character. I know some wanted a 45-minute MCU version of a John Wick movie which that may be coming uh, but to me this was as Thanos would say perfectly balanced as all things should be. Bottom line this was just the start. There will be plenty of action to come but in the MCU the story drives the action not the other way around. And Rob, I think Sam just kind of nailed one One of the things that works best about the MCU is that the story drives the narrative, not the action. And I agree with him. I thought there was great balance. We had this incredible all time televised action sequence, aerial action sequence. But we also had the moment of the old Japanese man opening his door and Bucky seeing the picture of his son on the shrine, knowing that he killed this man's son. I mean, it was an incredible balance. How would you respond to that?
1: I No, I completely agree. That's one of the things that I was so taken by uh, with the show. You know, once you've established with that kind of an action scene, you spend the rest of the show building character. I mean, who would have thought, John, that we would have seen a scene where a main character goes to a bank to get a loan in a Marvel Cinematic Universe (laughs) show and juxtaposing that with with Bucky Barnes talking to a therapist. And yet it felt right. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I. Uh, You know, to me, I think that both Bucky Barnes and Sam Wilson moving forward are now top tier characters in the MCU after that one episode.
0: Yeah, it, it, it was it was really quite good. But we'll see how it goes. All right. By the way, Suthius sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Suthius. Appreciate that, man. All right, let's move on here. Uh, not Sam also writes. Any thoughts on Anthony Mackie's statement that uh, the "this is awkward" line from Infinity War was because Sam and Natasha were dating? Uh, he did an interview where he talked about doing a deep dive in the character, and to him, Falcon and Widow, Widow were an item. Well, I, I mean, that's great, but that's not what the Russo brothers <laughs> ever said when they talk specifically about that line in that moment, they made no mention of Sam and and her dating. So, but by the way, Anthony Mackie, probably more than any of the other MCU actors has more fun being in the MCU. Like I still remember doing an interview with him once and we like this, the topic of DC came up. It's like, Oh man, this movie's way better than anything they got way better than anything they got. Now he's, Deep down, he's actually a big DCU fan. He really loves a lot of the DCU movies, but he loves playing that. He loves playing that. I remember, Rob, when they were, what was, I think it was going to be Batman versus Superman was supposed to open at the same day as Civil War. I think that's that was it, wasn't it? With, weren't those the two movies that were supposed yeah. to open the same weekend? <laughs> yeah. And then eventually Batman versus Superman moved, which I thought was, was a really smart move. But I remember during a press conference, like Anthony Mackie, like, somebody asked the the uh, all the actors, they had the panel up there, and they asked all the actors, you know, what do you think about, you know, right now you guys are scheduled to open and blah, blah, blah. And Sam is like, we got Captain America! And he's, like, up on that. Like, he has a lot of fun with that. So this sounds like something he would totally say. Yo, I think that Natasha and Sam were dating. It, it totally sounds like something he would say, but I don't oh, yeah. think that was ever the case. Do you, do, I don't know, Rob, do you remember like in the director's cut that any kind of suggestion or of the, um, director's commentary, there being any sort of suggestion that maybe Sam and Natasha were dating? Cause I, I don't remember anything like that. No, you know that, come on, Natasha and Cap hooked up, not Sam. <laughs> All right. Next up. I don't think they hooked up either. Um, <laughs> Uh, Next up, and by the way, Frankie uh, uh, Gouge sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Frankie. Appreciate that, man. Uh, Sam, uh, not Sam Wilson, also writes. Back in in the day, my wife, funny enough, she's a redhead, so let's call her not Black Widow. Was obsessed with Quantum Leap. Uh, She watches your show with me from time to time, and curious to hear your opinion of that show. Thanks. I never watched a lot of Quantum Leap, Rob, but I know you and I have talked about this show. You have watched Quantum Leap, have you not? What are your thoughts? I I remember it starred the. the captain from Star Trek, Scott uh, Bakula. Yeah, Scott Bakula. What or did you Harry think DeMora
1: of Lord of Illusions? No, I, I, I thought Quantum Leap was kind of an irresistible show. You know, I, I, it was great time travel. It was really well done. It, it, it was. It had a lot of emotion, a lot of pathos, and um, I, I really love the the character dynamic between our two main characters, Dean Stockwell and and uh, and. Um, Scott Bakula, it's a delightful series.
0: I really like Scott Bakula, by the way. All right. Uh, Next up, Tom Gillard writes, I like Man of Steel. I hated Batman versus Superman, but I love the Snyder Cut. When Darkseid showed up, my dad got his universes confused and exclaimed, oh, cool, Thanos is back. (laughs) Wrong universe, dad. Wrong universe. Yeah, I mean, there are, I, I think the biggest distinction visually i I think they did a really good job because i i know a lot of people have often confused the characters uh like who aren't versed in comic book stuff i thought they did a really good job with this version of justice league to make him visually look very different than thanos i I thought he looked very very different than thanos in this so i i thought they did a pretty good job with that but yeah i could see a mom or a dad saying that i could totally see that tom next up uh basil writes trivia In several European countries like France and Italy, Moana, oh, I've heard about this. Moana is officially known as uh, Vienna or Oceana. The reason Moana is the registered trademark name of a famous Italian porn star, which of course it is. (laughs) Of course it is. Uh, that's, that's interesting. I assume they didn't change the name of the character in the movie. They just had to change the name of the movie, which is interesting. A little something to keep on the trivia headboard there, Basil. Thanks for sharing that, man. All right. Alan writes, Hey, John and Rob. One thing I've seen in the reviews of Kong versus Godzilla is that the human characters aren't great. Uh, that got me thinking, how important are the human characters? We go to a movie like this to see great looking monsters and great fight scenes. Well, here's the thing, Alan. It's it's not just that. Rob, I, I think you agree with me on this. You still got to make a good movie, right? You got to make a good movie. And that means, you know, grounding it from the perception of who we are as people. To, it's seeing these monsters. Because that, that's our point of view that we're watching it from. You right. have to make a compelling story with the humans as well. You don't want it to be 95% humans and 5% monsters. I'm not suggesting that at all. But you still have to build a good movie around it. Otherwise, just stay at home and watch youtube clips of some cg fights right you got to make a good movie around it now i have heard that the human characters aren't great but i've also heard they're not bad because they're in other either godzilla or skull island or in king of the monsters there has been criticism that the human characters just came across as stupid and whatever but i've heard they're not bad what have you been hearing as far as the human side goes rob
1: well, the same thing. I mean, people are always saying, oh, the I, I don't even know what that means because it, it's not like the Godzilla films are always noted for their incredibly dramatic and deep portrayals of their human characters. You know, the travails. It's it's not like you're watching, I don't know, ordinary people, but with monsters in it too. It's It's not like that. And while, look, to me, <laughs> kaiju films are sort of, <laughs> there's an inherent, Uh, let's call it non verisimilitude in those movies. (laughs) And, and I think that, that that's okay. And I'm curious, the world building, I want to see what they do with the Monarch organization. And then this other organization that's using, that has their, their, their nefarious or something. I bring it all on. And I, 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 again, I, when people say that the human characters aren't good, I'm like, well, what did you think they were going to be? Like, what did they let you down? Did you believe that in Godzilla versus Kong that you were going to get some amazing character insights to these human beings so they're fully realized people? I'm like, that's fine, but is that what you thought you were going to get for the movie? So when people say, "Yeah, the human characters weren't great, I'm like, what does that mean? What did you think they were going to be?
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, next up here, we got Great Grab Thar's Hammer, love a good Galaxy Quest quote, uh, who writes, Uh, John, you've inspired me to seek out the original Battlestar Galactica, the Lauren Green one, uh, Dirk Benedict, Richard Hatch. Absolutely. I, lo- I mean, not as I don't think it's as good as Ronald D. Moore's version, but it's, it's great to go back and watch. In return, I'd like to recommend two shows. I know Rob, if he's there, would back me up on. UFO, which I never did watch, and Space 1999. Oh, you know I've watched that. I used to watch the reruns of that as a kid. I used to love Space 1999. Especially the latter for the cinematic quality miniatures and storytelling. And Rob, I remember you and I talking about this because I love the ship. Like the ship from Space 1999. Oh, dude,
1: I have a whole shelf of them right over there.
0: Oh, God, I used to love that ship. And remember the, the alien eagle. girl who turned into this big space bear?
1: <laughs> Maya. Maya, she was uh, from the planet Sycon.
0: So for those of you who don't know, the basic idea of Space 99, 1999 is actually an interesting premise. So there was a base on the moon. But something happened and blew the moon out of Earth's orbit and just rocketing, rocking off into space. And... The people on this base were just stuck on that base you know destined to forever hurl off into the eternity of the darkness of space it's actually kind of interesting what was the name of the ship again though i keep forgetting the name of the ship rob the eagle the eagle i was gonna say the falcon here
1: wait a minute here hold oh, on oh yeah
0: go grab that sucker it's right here the eagle i love the design of this i used to have this toy
1: here isn't is, that beautiful uh, here's an eagle transporter Now, uh, this is made by a company called 1612. Now, these are all uh, obviously very utilitarian. Now, you want to see something that's really cool? This particular eagle that I have uh, is actually signed right here by Brian Johnson, who created the eagles. Oh, my God. He was also the director of visual effects. He was the visual effects supervisor for The Empire Strikes Back. (laughs) That's awesome. So, yeah, and I have many different sized eagles because I was obsessed with these as a kid. I have more coming. I have unbuilt. I have two unbuilt eagle model kits that are twenty-two inches long. So uh, yeah, uh, I've, I've got a whole shelf. I think I've got twelve eagles up there right now. Love there's those. There's always more to get.
0: <laughs> love those. All right. Uh, next up, uh, anonymous viewer writes: Bucky to old man Yori. I am no longer the Winter Soldier. I am James Bucky Barnes, and you're part of my efforts to make amends. I deeply regret the loss of your son at my hands, and I offer myself as your son. A little bit of mixture there of Falcon and Winter Soldier (laughs) with best uh, best of the best. Uh, So, yeah, I like that effort, and I offer myself as your new brother. Anyway, excellently done. Well said. Anybody that can mix a little best of the best in with something, I absolutely love it. By the way, I said this before. I'll say it again. The thing I am now most looking forward to is not, you know, Bucky fighting Zemo or anything. The moment I am looking forward to most in this show now is when Bucky finally comes clean to Yori. I mean, that's the moment I'm looking forward to now. All right. Next up, Lobster Johnson writes one of three. Hey, John. I'm a huge Hellboy fan, and the newest movie gave me a sense of dread as to whether we would get another iteration again or Hollywood would move on from him. He is not a superhero. He's an occult detective with a little action in there. Uh, I hate that that they try to make him an action star every time. With the way he was written by the great Mike Mignola, Hellboy creator, instead of coming out month after month like a normal comic, it came out in short stories, Telling folklore tales, Hellboy as a story would work 1000% better as an eight to 10 episode series for Amazon or HBO max. So what are your thoughts on that? And would you see it being a TV series for a big streaming service? If given the chance or has Hollywood moved on hashtag bring on the filthy. Thanks a lot for that lobster. Rob Hellboy is, has, has been a problem. You know, it's, it's a character that amongst those who know him really, really love the character, but has always struggled to find any kind of success, you know, on the screen. This latest iteration was an abomination. This, this latest Hellboy movie was just terrible. But the reality is the other ones, which were quite good, they were never able to be really financially successful. And here's the thing. I had a chance in Toronto. I actually got to have a sit down for like 20 minutes with just me and Mike Magnola. I got to sit down with Magnola for like 20 minutes and we were discussing Hellboy, uh, the motion picture, which had just come out. And by the way, Mike Magnola was involved in all three of those movies. He was actually heavily involved in all three of those movies. And one of the things I remember him saying to me was the whole thing of the graphic novel stories as they exist really wouldn't work on the screen. You know, but I think, you know, there's so much dimension to Hellboy. You can tell him in these types of stories. And with Guillermo del Toro, those stories really worked. It's just that they struggled to find an audience. Rob, I got to be honest with you. I don't know that the Hellboy stories as they're more kind of laid out in Mignola's work. I think they would continue to struggle to find an audience. I don't know if it has that type of appeal. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. What do you think?
1: Well, I, look, I think it's a, it, 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 that character works really great on the page. I love the comics. I have the hardcover collector's editions of a lot of those comic stories, and I really like them, but they're hard to translate well. And I think the Guillermo del Toro's movies, I, I like the second one, The Golden Army, I thought was was better than the first. I mean, I like them both, but they're still kind of – it's it's really hard to tell the story because Hellboy is such a fantasy character. Yeah. And when he exists, you know, he's a fantasy character, but he carries a big gun. And it's I think it's hard to make it all work in the real world. It's a really interesting balancing act. But as we have more shows like Carnival Row and more uh, The Dark Crystal and we've we've had very really interesting portrayals of fantasy on the screen Uh, I think Hellboy could work in a series format. I think maybe it could work really, really well. Um, Again, you just go back to the original comics and concentrate on those stories because they worked really well. That's what I would try.
0: All right. Next up, uh, we've got uh, James Lockman writes... My take on your question about how superheroes get paid. I just always assumed that S.H.I.E.L.D. paid them. After all, it was Nick Fury who recruited them. Also, there must have been some billionaires that came back from the blip. Cough up some dough, man. Yeah. I mean, I, again, this—it it is. Some people saw the question, Rob, as a little bit silly about, come on, Falcon wouldn't have to go and seek a bank loan. It's like, you know what, really, maybe he would have. He really probably would have, you know, we've already talked about what are the banking, what, what processes are bankings, are the banks having to go through right now with 3 billion more people popping up and like there being five years of no credit history. And what would that really be like? And if he was too proud to go to a pepper or happy, like he probably would be struggling. I I don't know. How do you, how would you answer that?
1: I I think so too. I mean, look again, I thought that was great world building. You know, the idea that they're dealing with a few months later, they're dealing with the ramifications of all the half the population coming back. And that was something I never even considered. And I have to say, I've been thinking about it for a long time because I'm now thinking about all the ramifications about like everything that's happened. We we saw a little bit of that in Spider-Man Far From Home about the comments about people coming back to school. And, you know, it's so weird. I, I mean, the the it's one thing to do it in Infinity War and Endgame and to say, that half the population just disappeared and then came back. And we've seen now in WandaVision, Monica Rambeau came back. We are now seeing it in Falcon and Winter Soldier. Our main characters came back, you know, and it's, uh, I think dealing with where the world is at is really interesting. And not that I, I I mean, I, I would almost watch a show about like, two guys who are just all they do is help people reintegrate into society after being gone for five years because I just, it's fascinating to me in the banking issue. Yeah. They were looking for a bank loan, but I did find it fascinating because I'm like, well, what would that be like? Can you imagine you don't, your phone doesn't work? Your bank cards don't work. It's been five years. Like what do you do? Your life would become one monumental, monumental pain in the ass and you'd have to go systematically and take care of all these things. And it would be annoying and it would be, problematic and people will be like, how can you prove it's you? You know, your, your license expired. I'm like, yo man, I've been gone for five years. (laughs) Like, is there an office you can go to, to help integrate back into society? I, and I liked all that. I thought it was really good.
0: All right. Next up. We've got Hot Rod Todd who writes, uh, Glad to see Godzilla vs. Kong is getting great first reactions. As a longtime Kaiju fan, I decided a while ago that people complaining about the humans is like saying uh, you buy Playboys for the articles, <laughs> minus, uh, minus R. Burr. They've never been decent in any film. Which, Rob, is exactly kind of what you were just saying. It's like, come on, the, the human is, But But you also understand, they're kind of a necessity because Godzilla isn't going to explain the exposition. You know, Kong isn't going to explain the exposition. The story has to be told through the perspective of the humans, and therefore you need a little bit there. But I you raise a good point there, Hot Rod Todd. You raise a good point. All right, next up. Joey writes one of two. My dad and I both thought the Snyder cut was an improvement over the Whedon version. All I got to say is that the scene that involves Superman and an ax dropped our mouths. Dude, I think it's like one of the greatest moments ever Uh, to the floor. And we looked at each other with holy shit. That was fucking awesome. In my opinion, that one scene made this whole Snyder cut drama worth it. Uh, Then when the movie was over, my dad turned to me and said, are you sure this is the same studio that made Wonder Woman 84? Yep. I, I just, I have a hard time believing, Rob, that it was the same director that made Wonder Woman. That Wonder Woman 84 was the same director who made Wonder Woman. I, I just, uh, yeah. I mean, look, we've talked ad nauseum about Wonder Woman 84 and what a step down that was from the original Wonder Woman, unfortunately. But still very excited to see where they're going to go with things moving forward. But that act scene, man. That act scene, I just, got, I just get giddy whenever I damn well think about it. Anyway, John DeMoto writes, John, I can't tell you how much I loathe the dream sequence, how much I loathe dream sequences in movies slash TV shows. Both Snyder's Justice League and the Falcon and Winter Soldier had this. What are your thoughts on this? I think it's a cheap tactic with no real stakes. Well, it depends on what the, the dream is for. Because, Rob, in Falcon and Winter Soldier, the dream was narrative. The dream was telling us, the audience, what happened to make it to, I mean, it was necessary. We needed to see that flashback to understand the turmoil he was going through and then understand the entire thing going on with Yori, with his dad and his father, <clears throat> and then putting in into context. This is something that he's dealing with. So when a dream is there to fill in narrative gaps, it's necessary and it's really, it can be very well done. Like I thought it was in Winter Soldier. Yep. Dream sequences that are used to mislead the audience like, oh, this is happening. Oh, don't worry. That didn't really happen. It was just a dream. I I agree. I agree. That can get a little bit annoying. I'm not sure that was the case with uh, Justice League, though. I'm not sure that was the case. It was a little something different. It was more of a flash forward sort of thing. But yes, dream sequences where you think something stunning and important just happened, and it turns out it didn't just happen because it was just a dream. Do you have any off the top of your head, Rob? That you can think of in, in a movie or TV show where it's like something important happened and then, oh wait, that didn't really just happen. It was just a dream.
1: Well, I mean, just to be topical, the nightmare sequences in Batman v Superman and Zack Snyder's Justice League, those those are a potential possible future. You know, and they make it seem like, well, this is absolutely going to happen. You know, and I'm like, um, no, this is just a poss- possible future. And you'd think that, well, maybe that future is not going to come to pass. I don't know. That was just the first thing that came to my mind. But, but um, you know, one of my favorite dream sequences in any movie, and it d- does come to pass, is in John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness.
0: Oh, right. I, where, yeah. where,
1: you know, the characters, they think they they keep waking up from this dream that they're having. They don't know what it means. And then you find out it's actually a transmission that's being beamed into their heads from the future so this team can prevent the anti-god from being released on the world. And, of course, they fail. <laughs> so uh, I love that. That's one of my favorite. But it did come to pass. It wasn't misle- it, I guess it was kind of misleading the audience because they don't tell you until the end. It becomes a revelation. But it was still – I loved it. I thought that dream sequence was creepy and weird. And when you find out what happened, I'm like, yeah, all right all right
0: next up um james lockman writes aloha captain A man you're really going to be uh bringing the filthy when our only fans starts up when your only starts up just kidding hope you and everyone watching have a great weekend rob you missed it you weren't there for this but
1: of course i <laughs> i realized are you starting an only fans john you know how much money i could make with only fans Dude, bet- if you drop some dance crew videos on your OnlyFans site, I am telling you it would skyrocket to number one. You'd make a fortune.
0: Dude, I, I was telling you, t- look, I was telling the audience this before. I will say it again. And when I realized, you know how much money this would make on OnlyFans? I, <laughs> I bet you, I bet you I could make a crisp $9, buddy. I bet <laughs> you I could make a crisp $9. And so I was getting ready to set up because, you know, when you got the goods, Rob, you got to share it with the world. When you got this much goodness in one package, you got to share it with the world. And I was getting all ready to launch my OnlyFans account. But then I remembered, Rob, it would be irresponsible of me the amount of marriages that would break up across this country <laughs> when women see what this is all about. And break. And, and so, I, I, Rob, I thought, I got to be responsible. With great filthy comes great responsibility. And I decided to... To 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 back off the uh, OnlyFans account. I know I know many of you are disappointed. I know you're very disappointed. I know hearts are breaking across the world right now. But with great filthy comes great responsibility. I, I got to be responsible, guys. I I know I could make probably a good nine, maybe even ten dollars, maybe even ten dollars I could make.
1: But I'm telling you, those dance crew videos, John, the that's dance crew the videos. That's All the day. Stuff. It shows how you can move. It might still cause that reaction with marriages across the country when they see <laughs> just how you bust a move. Maybe, when they see Pisces you
0: know. in his Adidas windbreaker outfit. Yes, I had it. It was a nice navy blue windbreaker outfit. That was my favorite one. Please, anyway, what do we
1: have to do? Can I call your mom? Like, what can we do to make oh, this she happen? She doesn't
0: even know where that those VHS tapes are. They're being taken care of by top men, Rob. Top men. All right, next up. Uh, ex Requiem writes, one of four. No spoilers. John, I've been a big fan since AMC, but I also but also, long-time first-time. Well, thanks for writing in, man. I appreciate that. The Snyder Cut has just got me, and I'd like to hear your views on a specific point. I like Man of Steel, but not nearly as much as you. Batman vs. Superman is 51 out of 100. Uh, 3 of 4 and 4 of 4. We seem to be missing 2 of 4. All right. No problem. Uh, let's see if we can get through it anyway. Uh, Batman vs. Superman is 51 out of 100. Three, four, But I have to say the real thing that blew me away, Cyborg is so much better, uh, as is the reason for the execution uh, for all of Superman's involvement. Uh, and in your words, he is the mother effing Superman. I watched your full spoiler chat, and I know you enjoyed it, but didn't adore it. Uh, so my question is, Age of Ultron or Snyder Cut? Ooh, which one would be your first um, out of lockdown, first theater's choice? Ie only two showings play pick 1. That's a good that's a good question. That's a good one. And you're right. The Cyborg thing we were talking on the show the other day. Cyborg was the biggest like fundamentally what they did with Cyborg was the biggest difference to me. Um and it was so like they did really really good work with Cyborg. That one waitress scene, I would contend that the most important scene in the Snyder Cut Justice League is the cyborg and waitress because it completely and fundamentally alters the way we see that entire character and that it just improves our experience with the character through the movie. That said, man, that's a good comparison, Rob, because he didn't ask Snyder Cut or Civil War. He didn't ask Snyder Cut or Endgame. Snyder Cut or Age of Ultron. Now, I I really enjoy Age of Ultron a lot and I, I tend to like it more as time goes on. Oh, that's a, that's a good one. I'm not sure. You know what? Maybe ask me again in six months. Maybe this is partially because I just watched it for now. I will say Snyder cut. If, if I had, if I had to pick one right now that I could go to a theater tonight and watch one of two age of Ultron or Snyder Cut on the screen. I would probably say Snyder Cut right now, but ask me again in six months after it sat with me for a little bit. Maybe I'll change my mind, but for now I'll say that. Rob, what about you?
1: It's a hard one for me because I I I was always an Age of Ultron lover. I always liked that film. But I, I just want to see the Snyder Cut on the big screen, so I might pick that first. Mm-hmm. But I really love Age of Ultron. I, I Again, because of the character interplay, there's just there's so much to like but then again the theatrical experience I just want to hear I want to hear the Snyder cut in a really loud theater <laughs> I want to yeah. hear it loud in Atmos
0: yeah all right uh, let's go on here next up we've got Jack Wallace writes today is my birthday happy birthday Jack may you have a fabulous day and a fabulous year ahead of you my friend tech question. I need to get my son a DSLR lens for close-up photography. Any suggestions? He has a Canon Rebel T6, by the way. I like the Canon T-series cameras because they're they're relatively inexpensive. I think you can get a, a T6 for like 500 bucks, and it's good. They use, a, um, the thing that gets confusing about a lot of these cameras is what lenses go with them. Now, I'm sure the camera, being a Rebel, it probably came with a kit lens. They take, I believe, what's called an EF-S mount, an EF-S mount, which is a certain types of lenses that will fit on that camera. But really, you can get lens adapters and put anything on there. When you're asking me what lens I would suggest, it's impossible for me to answer that question because I don't know what he's using it for. Is he using it for photography? Is he using it for video? Um, Now, you're saying close-up photography. So if you want close-up photography... Rob, would you go, would you go with like, say a 50 millimeter lens from a little bit further back if you were trying to do close-up photography or would you go with something like uh, a 15 mil lens and just physically get a lot closer? I mean, you want, you'll want the biggest uh, aperture that you can get. So you're going to see a number on your lenses called with an F and then a number. And the smaller the number is actually bigger the aperture. I know that doesn't sound intuitive, but like a aperture of three is actually a bigger aperture than an aperture of five. What you'll definitely want for close-up, you'll want a really nice wide aperture. So you'll probably want to get as as small of a number beside that F as possible. But I don't know, Rob, if, if you... If you were just trying to get some close-up shots, would you go with, like, a, a fuller 50mm or with a 15mm and just get physically closer? What would you do? I,
1: I would probably get physically closer. You know, I'm not a big I fan. Agree. I, yeah, I'm not a big fan of the 50mm lens because – only because it's close to what the human eye – it's close to how we perceive the world. And I've always thought that if you're taking pictures of any kind, try and do something different from how we see like the whole point of a picture is to maybe provide a perspective that we don't necessarily normally would get from our own sight. So I know that's just kind of a weird thing, but I would I would use the 15 millimeter lens to get closer because try and make it, give us something that we can't see in our own lives.
0: Uh, and so again, this is specifically for that. So you'll want to get what's called a prime lens that has a fixed focal length. Now, if you want to get them a lens that is for more general use, Get him a good zoom lens. Something's got like a, a twenty four to seventy five uh, range or something like that. But really, with a camera like that, you're going to get some good shots regardless of what you get. Yeah. But that's uh, without knowing more specifics. That's the best advice I can give. And I am not a lens expert, by the way. I I've used I use a lot of lenses, but I'm by no means a lens expert. All right. Next up. Uh, Wolfman writes, Hey, John, one of your viewers had a theory for Falcon and Winter Soldier. What if old man gets shot by Zemo? I have a better one. What if old man dies shielding Bucky from someone? Imagine the impact that can have on Bucky and his perspective on being a hero. Dude, I do not want this old man to die. I don't know that. I I don't know. My heart can take that. This old man's got to live. He's got to hear a confession from Bucky. Whether he forgives him or not, I don't know. That's gonna be part of the suspense, I think, but I do not want to see this old man die. You think this old man's gonna die in this show, Rob?
1: Oh man, that, that would be pretty brutal if they did do that. <laughs> uh, I I I don't think so. I think that he has to he has to make amends and he's gonna to have to do that at some point. You know, and he's I, I think look, I think part of this show is gonna be Bucky Barnes's sort of emotional catharsis. The journey is going to be it's the crucible he has to go through and um i think by the end he's going to be a whole more uh, more full or more more whole person more than he's ever been before and i i think that's part of what we're seeing and i i like it but i don't they can't kill that old guy be like killing you can't kill any old man <laughs> that's terrible
0: <laughs> i uh, <laughs> i hope not my god all right uh we uh, we're over time here so we'll take one more question here with Rob still here this one comes to us from vinny buckets who writes Hey, John, huge fan of the show. Thank you so much, man. Makes my mornings. Of late, I've finally gotten into David Lynch Lynch by binging Twin Peaks. Uh, Twin Peaks, The Return, is one of my favorite things ever. Would love to know your thoughts on Lynch slash Twin Peaks. Congrats on the move. Well, thank you so much for that. I was never Twin Peaks guy, Rob. I, I, was, I never got into Twin Peaks, so I certainly never watched the revitalization they ever did on that, so I really can't speak to it. So all my Lynch stuff has been outside of twin peaks but i mean it has a passionate cult following like massive that show rob did you ever get into twin peaks and if so what were your thoughts on it
1: no i'm i'm a huge fan and what i think twin peaks is beautifully imperfect but twin peaks the return is one of the stranger things that's ever been broadcast and episode eight was is some kind of masterpiece but um, the, it, it, I, I love Twin Peaks. I, I love the feature film Fire Walk with me. Uh, and it was crazy to see it come back in such a odd, strange, delightful fashion. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm a huge Lynch fan all the way back to Eraserhead. Uh, you know, I recently picked up Elephant Man in 4K, which is a wonderful movie. Uh, maybe it might be one of my, maybe it's Lynch's best film. But I'm a huge fan. Mulholland Drive, Blue Velvet, Wild at Heart. Yeah, I love Lynch. By the
0: way, breaking news. Breaking news. Uh-oh. Uh, they have... Disney has changed direction. Black Widow will debut on Disney Plus and theaters at the same time. Uh, in its wow. biggest shift to streaming yet, Disney is releasing a film from Marvel on Disney Plus. Never thought this would have happened, Rob. I would have thought they've moved this so many there. times. I thought for sure they would keep this out there, but they're changing directions. Uh Disney's releasing a film, uh Marvel on Disney Plus at the same time it hits theaters. Black Widow, the latest film from Disney Superhero Studio, will debut simultaneously in theaters and on the company's streaming service on July on July 9th. So they moved it from May to July. Uh, the film will be released via the company's premier access function, which means Disney Plus subscribers will have to pay an extra $30 to watch it. The highly anticipated superhero film starring Scarlett Johansson was originally uh, slated to open in theaters a year ago on May first, 2020, uh, but that was delayed because of the coronavirus pandemic uh, disrupting the industry. I, I don't see any direct quotes from anybody there at this point, but yeah, this is this is massive, Rob. Yep. Like I I I thought for sure that we knew that Disney. Would definitely still try out their premier access thing on at least a couple more films. Two movies by apparently the Ryan the Last Dragon one did not go well, and neither did the the did the uh, um, Mulan one that didn't work out so well for them. But we knew there were two is not a good enough sample size. We knew they'd do it with a couple more. I'll straight up tell you, I never thought they would do it with Black Widow. Not after bumping it a year already. I really thought they'd bump it one more month. Remember, we talked about that, Rob. I said, I think they're going to bump Black Widow one more month, make four to six weeks, which is exactly what they've done. And they'll keep it theatrically exclusive. But they're they're going to try the Premier Access thing with this now. What do you think about that?
1: I right, Dude, I think it's crazy. They also pushed Shang-Chi into September. So you've got Black Widow that in July. That we expected.
0: We were starting to suspect they were going to do that because of everything so,
1: else. So So you've got Black Widow in July. Shang-Chi in September, Eternals in November, and Spider-Man in December. So, well, that's kind of a supercharged Marvel uh release schedule. <laughs> I mean, wow, the you're gonna get four Marvel movies in six months. Whew.
0: This this is big. I'll I'll tell you, I will I will color myself really surprised. I am really yep. surprised. I would have put five bucks, not a hundred. I would have put five bucks on that they wouldn't have done. Like again, we've known they were going to do more of these Premier Access experiments. We knew they were going to do more, maybe at least three or four more. I never would have thought I would have. If you had bet me five bucks, I would be out five bucks because I never would have thought they were going to do it with Black Widow.
1: It'll be the first movie I pay thirty bucks to see on Disney Plus. I'll tell you that though.
0: Well, you, you, you know, in some way, maybe it makes sense because, okay, they tried it with Mulan, didn't work they tried it with Raya, didn't really work. But they, I guess maybe you had to try it with a legitimate big potential blockbuster to see what was going to happen. Um, I I don't know. I mean, that's I never would have thought they were going to do that. I never would have thought they were going to do that. I Again, I would have put money on that. Uh, and here they are. Uh, this is interesting. So it'll be really interesting to see what type of results they get um for this now so this is causing a shift of course in basically everything as you're pointing out rob everything's now getting shifted a bit so i guess they got to keep some things in line so it's it's going to be interesting to see how this thing uh this thing plays out uh anyway rob i think this is something for us to discuss a little bit more tomorrow uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll discuss this more in depth tomorrow as we let more information uh, about this come out as well and we'll see how this plays out Rob uh, again thanks for being here man and uh, in the meantime where can people follow you and your adventures online
1: you can find me on twitter at BurnettRm, rm find me on instagram at robert meyer Burnett, or find me on my own youtube channel uh, the Burnett work and also the uh, animated show I worked on for netflix dota dragon's blood drops on the 25th
0: and everybody should keep their eyes open for that. Thanks a lot, Rob. We'll talk to you tomorrow, man. Have a good one. All right. I'll see you later. All right, everybody. That is the one and the only, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. As we are just uh, getting this word that they have moved a significant number of dates, but specifically here, and this is the big story, uh, they have bumped Black Widow to July 9th, so not terribly far from its date, but they are going to try a Premier Access thing with it. 30 bucks. So it's going to debut in theaters and on Disney+. Plus. Uh, and this, I, Hey, listen, I'll tell you, I'm shocked by this. I am really shocked by this. I did not think they would do that again. We knew they would try it with a couple more movies. I did not think it would be black widow. So yeah, color me totally surprised. We'll get, let more information come in about this and we'll talk about it, uh, more on tomorrow as well. All right, let's keep going through your, uh, through your questions, guys. Next up. We got Ryan Loner who writes, it sounds like a joke, but in all honesty, perhaps William Shatner's greatest ever performance. Of course, William Shatner's 90th birthday was just yesterday. Is his guest spot on my little pony episode name, the perfect pair. That's interesting. Um, it's a level of emotional regret. Where do we go here? Uh, it's a level of emotional uh, regret and pathos. I had no idea he was capable of, you know, it's funny. Somebody wrote this in the other day, but it's true. Talking about William Shatner and stuff. He's done. Remember when he was the Priceline guy on the Priceline commercials? Priceline negotiator. Remember that? I used to love those commercials. I don't know why, I just did. All right, next up, we got JR writes. I know you said the character of Steppenwolf felt flat for you in both versions, but I think the reason most of the rest of us uh, in Hoy, probably meant enjoy his character so much more in the Snyder version is because, as Jeremy Johns put it best, he doesn't have a mommy fetish. I don't know. I, you... That angle almost gave a religious reverence to what the mother boxes were. And since they weren't going to have any further Justice League films, they wanted, they needed to strip out all the uh, alluding to, to subsequent films. And so you needed to have something as a prime motivator for Steppenwolf. I'm not saying it was great, but you needed something that was a primary motivation for Steppenwolf since you couldn't have Darkseid and all that kind of stuff because you didn't want to allude to future films that you weren't going to have. So I get that. So that almost religious devotion to the mother boxes seems like a logical thing that they did. Again, what they did in the Snyder Cut was better, but considering that wasn't an option for what they were doing theatrically, I actually didn't mind that, so not terribly. I didn't mind that terribly, even though in the theatrical version, I still thought Steppenwolf was pretty flat. Anyway, next up. Alan writes, um, Hey, John Rob, I have been seeing articles recently that Nolan is in talks with Marvel. It's complete bullshit. It's not true uh, that Christopher Nolan is in talks with Marvel. Is there any truth to this? And if he were to direct a Marvel, a movie for Marvel, uh, they there a specific property. You think he would be a good foot for blade, X-Men, etc. A- anyway, Alan, it's kind of pointless to discuss. That is a complete bullshit story going around. Whatever I tell, I always tell people this. If you see a story that looks a little bit odd, track it to the source. Where is it coming from? In the case of the Christopher Nolan thing, I believe it's coming from We Got This Covered, which is like a site you should never listen to. So no, there there is no truth to that report at all. Uh, I thought, I think it would be great if they ever did it, but no, there's there's no truth to that report uh, whatsoever. All right. An Anonymous Viewer writes, probably not my first choice to play Zatanna, but the first person to pop into my head was the woman who plays the mummy. Oh, this is funny because I was just, I was just looking her up for something else. Um, Was the woman who played, I'm not kidding. I was just looking her up for something else, uh, something else she was involved in. Was the first woman who played, um, who plays the mummy in the recent mummy film, same one to play Sam Jackson's henchman in the Kingsman films. You're talking about Sophia Batella. So Sophia Batella, Here's the thing about her. By the way, she was also in Charlize Theron's uh, Atomic Blonde. Now, listen, I'm human. I'm a red-blooded human man. I like some good hot sex stuff in the movies. Bring on the filthy. Um, I'm telling you, if you guys haven't seen Atomic Blonde, like one of the hottest scenes I've seen in a regular movie theater in a long time was the the sex scene between... uh, Charlize Theron and Sophia Butella. It's really, really well done. Anyway, I love Sophia Butella. And let me just see if I can bring up um, uh, a picture of her here. Hold on a second. Sophia uh, Butella. See if I can just get some uh, images here. Because she is, number one, she's incredibly beautiful. Like she's incredibly beautiful. But besides just being incredibly beautiful... She is, if you guys want to treat yourself to something, go look up like Sophia Batella dancing, go look up, look up on YouTube, Sophia Batella dancing. She is a crazy good dancer, like crazy good dancer. And she does action in films really well. Kingsman, Star Trek beyond. She did. She was great in that here's the one thing though I would say as much as I love her and I think she's fun to watch, especially doing action stuff on screen and and all that kind of stuff. The problem is she's not the, she's, she can't carry a movie. Like she's not a strong enough actress that she can carry a movie. Now she's got a new TV series coming called SAS rogue heroes. So it's going to be interesting to see how that turns out. But Again, she's not, she was also in that one, um, Jodie Foster movie, Hotel Artemis. So she, she was in that as well. I really enjoy her in the right role in movies. But is she a strong enough thespian that she can carry a movie and be the lead of a movie? I'm not sure that she can at this point. But I, I, I think Sophia Patel's great. I love seeing her on screen, but I don't know that she can be the lead. Um, I don't know that she can be the lead and and carry, be the, the one to carry the heavy weight of the movie. I don't think she can do that yet. But anyway, but I do love her and I'd love to see more of her on screen. All right, next up. Uh, Wilfred Rodriguez writes, I agree with Rob because Miss America, America Chavez is apparently set to appear in Dr. Strange, the multiverse of madness. I have no idea what we're referring to. When you say you agree with Rob, you got to give me a little bit more context than that Wilfred, because we go through like a hundred questions a day. So I cannot remember the context of all of them, but I'm sure some other people know what you're talking about. All right, next up bat of steel writes, Who's going to say it? I'm going to say it. Dan John, you were right. That that scene gave me tears and goosebumps. If only we could have seen this film in theaters. I'm going to assume you're talking about the scene of Superman getting hit with just taking the shot from Steppenwolf and not even blinking and saying I'm not impressed. (laughs) That scene is so good. Guys, I'm getting tired of seeing people misusing Superman. But that was an amazing scene. I'm glad you liked it. It was an amazing moment. All right, next up. Uh, Jake uh, Gehring writes, Hey, John and Rob just missed Rob. What do you think will be the bigger cliffhanger of Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Obviously, WandaVision ends with, cl- with a cliffhanger tying into Doctor Strange 2. Uh, what do you think... Um, What movie will this series lead into? I don't know. It's hard to say at this point. By the way, Sean's World sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you for that, Sean's World. Appreciate that, man. Um, I'm not really sure what where they're gonna go because there's a couple things. There was a lot of thought that it's gonna be more of a direct tie-in with Black Widow. I'm not so sure about that. Maybe yes, maybe no. So I don't know. Maybe we'll have an idea about what could a post-credit cliffhanger for Falcon and Winter Soldier be once we get a little bit further into the series. Like maybe once we get past episode three, we'll have a better idea about what the series really is. And then maybe that'll give us some ideas to what it could cliffhanger into. So, but right now, honestly, dude, I I get the question, but I have no guess. Like right now I have absolutely zero guess on that, but we'll see. Ask me again after like episode three, after episode three, ask me that again. And maybe we'll have a better idea by then. All right. Next up, uh, lady MO five writes, Hey, John, uh, all bashing of Sam Falcon. I feel the need to defend him. Sam already said he doesn't have superpowers, but he has been in every fight knowing he could easily be killed and never back down. Steve came to him for help. Uh, that's one of two, uh, came to him for help. Uh, the powerful Steve Rogers needed the, the plain human help. Sam also ran the vet group and is trying to help Bucky. Sometimes it is more important to have a heart of a hero than the power of one. Sam has more to lose, uh, and puts more on the line every single time. And, and I agree. I mean, that's I. That was something I was saying the other day. That, you know, if you want to go back to like even that one Batman movie, uh, I think it was Dark Knight Rises. Um, uh, Logan Davies sends in a super chat badge. Thanks, man. Um, in Dark Knight Rises, you know, like anyone can be Batman. Obviously, not everybody can be Batman, but you know that that the principle there, though, right? Sam has the heart of a hero. He has the character of a hero, and maybe he can't beat bat the Leaper in ha- in a hand-to-hand fight. Maybe he couldn't take a direct punch from Thanos and survive like Steve, uh, Steve Rogers could. Maybe not. But he is a hero. He's the heart of a hero, the courage of a hero, and all that kind of stuff. So I get it. And listen, he's, it's not like he's not the only guy who doesn't have superpowers in the Avengers sphere. Black Widow doesn't have superpowers. Hawkeye doesn't have superpowers. So, I mean, you got to keep that in mind too. All right. Next up, um, that, uh, okay. Uh, Blake writes, so I love the Snyder, uh, Snyder's justice league and the Snyderverse in general. However, this bugs me. If Superman dying is what woke the mother boxes, I know where you're going with this. And I thought the same thing. If Superman dying is what woke the boxes, why were they asleep before he was born? Kal-El is only what? 30. Uh, they've been on earth thousands of years. Love the show. I, I agree. That is one thing that sort of crossed my mind uh, a little bit too, was that if the mother boxes were waiting for Superman to die, why didn't they activate before Superman showed up on Earth? That It's a very good question. And now, maybe if I sit down and go through it again, I will catch which, what the answer to that was, but I, I didn't get the answer. Look, is it a little bit of a plot hole? Sure. Is it a real important plot hole? I would suggest no. It's not a real important plot hole. Like maybe there could be 10 tons of other explanations about why, you know, maybe his arrival, maybe what they could say is his arrival, uh, on earth kind of woke the boxes a little bit, but they didn't want to activate because the Kryptonian could stop them. And then when he died, then they're like, okay, now we can come back. I mean, I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. I'm just making stuff up. So, but I don't think it's that big of a deal. I don't think, but I agree, Blake. That's the same thing went through my head. I just don't think it's a big deal. All right, next up. Um, Willow writes, if you had to rewatch one movie again, would you rather watch Schindler's List or Grave of the Fireflies? Well, I mean, because these are both Wonderful movies, incredibly difficult to watch because they just rip your heart to pieces like they just life is awful. The world is a dark place. I mean, it's it's they're difficult to watch, but the better film is Schindler's List. And so I would probably uh, go back and watch Schindler's List again. All right. Good question, Willow. All right. Brando writes. With Zack Snyder's Justice League getting good reception and the future being in question, should we be scared? DC has announced that uh, the other Batman, J.J. Superman, Blue Beetle, Supergirls, Atana, Static Shock, it seems like the old DC days, uh, the old DC ways, announcing so many things your head spins. Well, I mean, there's two things to keep in mind here. Number one, too many people confuse a outlet like the Hollywood Reporter or Deadline or whatever, breaking a story with... DC announcing they're two different things just because a trade um, breaks a story. That's not the studio announcing, right? So yes, some of these things are things that the studio has affirmed and, and, and they are announced, but some of them are just that the, the, they got scooped, you know, the major trades found out about them. They reported on them, but having You know, seven or eight films in the pipeline is not getting ahead of yourself. The DC universe is now established. It's set up. It's not like they're just getting started. It's not like the monster universe where they were planning like six or seven movies with Invisible Man and Frankenstein's monster and and all this kind of stuff before they even put their first movie, The Mummy, out to see how the audience would respond to it. This isn't that situation. It's a little bit different. So I I think they got a lot of very, very interesting looking things going on this. And I, I think they're in good hands right now. We'll see how it goes. All right. Next up, we got Paul Starguy writes, saw Batwoman recast article in Twitter feed this morning. First thought was WTF. Didn't you just tell me last night's show that you had Kate Kane's DNA on body parts and that she had died in a plane crash? Have to see how it goes. Still like the new Batwoman. I mean, yeah, again, listen, I think there's a lot of head-scratching things about the Batwoman show, but to be fair, I only gave it about three episodes and then I bailed on it. Just I didn't think it was total garbage. It just wasn't working for me. No big deal. So I don't know, but I've seen viewership numbers. That I've dropped and I've heard from a lot of people that do watch the show and it is it is a little bit of a confusing thing there Paul I I don't think you're alone in that All right Scott Brown writes Something that Zack Snyder Justice League uh, really highlighted for me is something you're always talking about and that you can have the best script ever But it all comes down to execution I thought Zack Snyder did an amazing job, but I also think that Whedon did what Warner Brothers told him to do I mean what what became clear to me? Because I always thought the theatrical version... I always thought of it as Whedon's version, right? But after watching the original, which is Zack Snyder's version... Zack Snyder's is the original version. And you got to remember that. Snyder's version didn't come after Whedon's version. Whedon's, Whedon's version came after Snyder's version. Snyder's is the original. After watching Snyder's version, I realized there really is no such thing as the Whedon version. Because that theatrical version was just the original movie that Zack did, cut in half, make sure to remove any references to subsequent films because they weren't going to do anymore, and add some more humor. And that was it. Whedon wasn't allowed to create his own story. He didn't wasn't able to create his own characters. He wasn't able... It really... I, which again leaves me confounded about what was the point of the theatrical version? I just I really don't get it because I had always been under the impression that there were these two really distinct things and at the end of the day the the theatrical version was just a cut in half worst version of what Snyder had already given them and it just you know it kind of left me a little bewildered about well what was the point what was the point of that theatrical version in the first place then? And anyway, like I get it. They could never could have released a four hour movie. I understand that. I completely get that. But I don't know. It just, it just left me scratching my head. It just left me scratching my head a little bit. Anyway, um, next up Scott Brown also writes the saddest thing to come out of, uh, Zack Snyder's justice league is cyborg Gray Fisher did an incredible job. There was something very special there and we're never going to see him play that character again. Uh, what a mess uh, Warner brothers created for what turned out to be the same plot. Again, I am just confounded by what the what was the point of the theatrical version in the first place. Like, I get it. If you were like, we just don't like this story. I would have I would have understood if they just said, we just don't like this story. We don't like what this thing is. And we want we're going to bring in and Koli Woli uh, writes in the super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, man. Um, if they had said, we want a different movie. And so we hire Joss Whedon. Go ahead, Joss, write your own movie, create your own Justice League, and we're going to do that. I would have understood that. I would have understood that. But just cutting it in half and making it worse, and having to cover some plot holes that cutting it in half creates. What was then? Why not just take what you've already been given, just get an editor to shave an hour out of it. Other movies, Endgame just put out a three-hour movie. You can put out a three-hour movie and put out a three-hour cut of the of Snyder's. I just don't get it. It just, like I said, it just left me a little bit confounded. It left me a little bit confounded. All right, next up, um, uh, Oscars lost re- recipient rights. Hey, John. Uh, last week, you said the EGOT was the summit of talent. I never said it was the summit of talent. I said it's the hardest thing to get. I said it's the hardest thing to get. I didn't say it was the summit of talent. Um, I think there's something beyond the P-GOT, which stands for Pulitzer Prize. Only Rodgers and a and, uh, musical theater and composers, have completed it. Campion Co., so you're uh, so you're our super p Okay, so of course, the EGOT, for those of you who don't know, it is a very, very rare accomplishment is being an individual, an individual who wins an Emmy, um, an Emmy, an Oscar, a Tony and a, uh, 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 a Grammy, an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar and a Tony. Now, most of the people I don't know if an actor has won all of them. I think most of the people who have an EGOT are all in the mu- musical vein, so I'm not sure. Uh, anyway, the Peagot, the Pulitzer—I've never heard of that term before. But yes, that one would be. You're absolutely right about that, Oscar. That one would be a even more rare uh, thing to be in, if not completely exclusive. And by the way, James Lockman sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, James. Uh, War Doctor Ten writes, "Hey, John and crew, do you have a favorite concert that you've been to? I do, as a matter of fact. I have two. Uh, my first concert, which was Weird Al. You know what the funny thing is?" A Weird Al concert is one of mine as well. Uh, Touring with Running With Scissors and Metallica with Avenged Sevenfold and uh, uh, Gorgira at the Rose Bowl. I I suggest you check out Avenged Sevenfold. So my two favorite concerts that I've ever been to, and people think I'm joking when I say this one, but I'm not. It was an incredible concert. It was Weird Al Yankovic uh, in the big arena in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. He came to Saskatoon, sold the place out, and he just hired like the best musicians in the world to play with them. And it was one of the most fun concerts I had ever been to. It was a lot of fun. The other one was a U2 concert done at Angel Stadium in Anaheim, in Anaheim California, um, where they were touring, playing all of their old Joshua Tree. And they played more stuff than just that, but they played all of the Joshua Tree album, which I think is like the greatest album ever made. And it was psychotic. It was so good. So those are my two favorite concerts uh, that I have ever been to. I, I really do think it's, it's just both of those. They were very, very different experiences. They were very, very different experiences, but... Um, incredibly fun, incredibly great. Now, by the way, uh, I I just got a message from somebody saying, John, did you hear about Black Widow? We already talked about Black Widow a little while ago, uh, here on the show about the, the move to premium and, and the shifting in the schedule. We'll cover this more in depth tomorrow. Once we've had a chance to sit down and actually I'll reach out to some people at Disney, find out what I can, and we'll gather more information. We'll talk about more in depth, but we did already talk about the breaking news about 15 minutes ago, I think. So we'll get back to that, uh, more tomorrow. All right. Uh, Next up, uh, Alan writes, "Uh, hey, John, I saw the news that Netflix is developing a movie and live action series based on Keanu Reeves' Berserker. I love the keanu and will watch this just because. Have you heard this and what do you think? This sounds like a great idea. So, yes. So, Keanu Reeves uh, co-wrote a comic book called Berserker about this immortal who has lived for thousands of years and now he works for the government Um, and he's trying to find out the secrets to his immortality I think and why he's got this bloodlust right it's interesting so the initial idea is that they're going to do a live action movie I think it's being done with boom studios that they'll do a live action movie and then an anime series of course it's always easy to say you've got these plans before you put out your first thing and see how the audience responds to it but it's actually kind of a neat idea and it's not coincidental that the character of berserker in the comic books looks just like Keanu Reeves. So that's uh that's no, that's no um, uh, coincidence, uh, coincidence in that, but it is very interesting. I think it's kind of cool that he's done a comic book. I think it's kind of cool. He's been able to sign a, a deal to get some entertainment for that done. So we'll see what happens long today. I will touch. We've already discussed this about 15 or 20 minutes ago, but we will touch on it uh, again here, which is That uh, breaking news came out. We'll discuss this more in depth tomorrow for sure. But uh, just about 15 or 20 minutes ago, uh, Disney made the announcement that Black Widow is going to be going. uh, Let me see if I can get this uh, on here properly. Black Widow is going to be going to it has been moved which we assumed it would. Remember, we've been saying for a long time, we still expect Black Widow to be moved, by not moved by much off of its early May date. And now it's been moved to July 9th. But here's the surprising part, at least for me. I, I, I'll admit I'm completely surprised by this. I did not expect this to happen, not with this particular movie, but Black Widow will be uh, debuting in theaters and on Disney Plus Premier Access. Now, of course, Premier Access is their program where you have to be a member of Disney Plus And you got to pay an additional $30 uh, on top of that to see the movie. So you have to be a Disney Plus member and you have to pay an additional $30. Now, they have done this twice. They've done it with Mulan and it did not work out well for them in Mulan. They did it for Ryan the Last Dragon. It did not work out well for them with Raya and the Last Dragon. Um, But we knew they were going to do it at least two or three more times because two times isn't a good experimental time. I never thought they would do it with Black Widow. Tell you straight up, I never thought they would. Uh, it sounded like from what they were saying many, many, many times that this is one they were committed to the to the big screen exclusively, but they are going to try it. And I guess it makes sense. You want to try it with a true big blockbuster to see how people respond to that uh, with your premier access. So it's an interesting move. Now, this is what's coming to us. We'll, we'll just cover this for a second. We'll talk about it more in depth tomorrow, but we'll talk about this for a little bit right now and then we'll uh, go on and can keep taking the questions that you guys have sent in. But this comes to us from the folks of variety who writes as movie going slowly begins to rebound in the U S it appears Hollywood studios aren't yet ready to release their biggest blockbuster hopefuls on the big screen. Uh, all that is to say that Disney has massively overhauled its upcoming slate and amended release plans for black widow, Emma stones, Cruella, Shang Chi and the legend of the 10 rings, Pixar's Luca and several others. Notably, Black Widow and Cruella Cruella will now premiere on Disney Plus at the same time they open in theaters. Cruella is arriving as scheduled on May 28th, while Black Widow has been pushed back two months and will debut on July 9th instead of May 7th. Both titles will be offered on Premier Access, which comes with a $30 rental fee. So again, I don't like this about Disney Plus, but not only do you have to pay for Disney Plus, And not only do you have to pay an additional $30, it's only a rental. You only rent it for $30. You're then going to have to wait for a few months until it comes out on Disney Plus for you to have regular access. Not like you now have permanent access to it on Disney Plus. It's only a rental. So that's kind of interesting too. Uh, Anyway. Let's move on here. Keep going on here. This The scheduling shift for Black Widow means that Marvel's Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which was previously set for July, was bumped back to September 3rd. That makes sense. Uh, it's expected to have a traditional theatrical release. So... Disney right now is saying that they are still going to do theatrical releases. Well, the other Marvel stuff, they're just doing this for Black Widow. They, I guess they're figuring they pushed it back too far. They're not yet confident they can make all the money in theaters the way theaters are right now, even as late as July. And they want to give it a shot with Premiere Access to see how this works. Again, I guess I get it. I guess there is some logic to it. Uh, I concede that, but I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you I was totally surprised. I'm totally surprised by this. I really thought they were going to go just pure theatrical access with Black Widow, but they're going in a different direction. Interesting stuff. We'll talk about it more on tomorrow's show, definitely. But for now, let's get back to the live questions you guys were, ta- were had sent in. All right, we go back to the live questions and we're going to start off with this. Uh, we've got, where'd I go? There I am. Uh, we've got uh, Tremaine Fields who writes in, this might... Uh, just be my Tom Welling bias talking. But do you agree that Tyler's portrayal of Clark in Superman and Lois lacks the Kansas farm boy charm? Now I get it. This uh, this Clark hasn't lived in Smallville for 20 plus years, but he did have to throw, did he have to throw out all of his finals too? I, you know what? I'm going to disagree. I'm going to disagree. I think, um, I think he actually does have the charm of a small town guy. I think he does have this, the charm. He feels like, to me, the way Tyler plays the character, he's got that small town kid who has lived in the big city of Metropolis for 15 or 20 years. Um, so I remember when we were watching Tom Welling in Smallville, he was still just the kid in that town. Tyler is a Superman who moved on from that, has lived in the big city, and has been Superman for a long time. So I actually think he plays it really well. Um, that's my that's my take on it. I actually think he plays it pretty well, but that's just my thought. All right, next up. Um, manifest for purpose? I man manifest for probe? I don't know what that means. Anyway, hello, John. Given the heightened appeal over Marvel content since the endgame climax, an audience's Easter egg... Uh, Easter egging everything. Do you think Team Feige can wait another 10 years to build up another milestone cinema moment, or will they have to fast track? Okay, that's an interesting question. So we had to wait 10 plus years for the big climax of the big big build-up story climaxing in Endgame. Do we have to wait 10 years again? I'm going to say no, but it's not because they're fast-tracking. It's because not only the first time around were they building up to Endgame, they were also having to build the MCU in general. They were making the comic book genre what it is today. They were defining their heroes and they were defining what their universe was and building up to an Endgame. Now, half of that equation is already done. They don't have to introduce us to the world of the MCU anymore, which was three or four years in and of itself. They don't have to do that part anymore. Now they can just focus on building up to what their big story is. Now, I don't think they're going to do it in just two or three years, but I think we're probably looking at maybe five or six years. And I don't think that's fast tracking again, because half of the work is already done. So I think we're good there. All right. Next up, uh, we've got Ben Rayner who writes, Hey, John. Just wondering if you read that Variety article interview with the CEO of Warner Media. We just talked about that this morning. I found it very interesting, and it goes into the future of DC movies and Snyderverse and a little into toxic fans. Thank you for all you do. Bring on the filthy. Yeah, we did talk about that earlier in the show. It was one of our our main topics earlier today. Uh, I thought it was a very interesting interview. Also talking about the air cut thing, their future, the diversity of movies they have coming, uh talking about moving on from the Snyderverse and all that kind of stuff. I thought it was a very interesting interview. I thought it was a very interesting interview. So I would recommend uh, go back and check out that part of the show that we did. But yeah, Ben, I did. I did read it for sure. Uh, Ryan Loner writes one of two. Well, who could have seen this coming? The DC fans aren't happy to just get the Snyder cut and are demanding not only that it be put back in canon, but David Ayers cut of Suicide Squad be released too, even though Ayer himself doesn't care. Uh, well, well, let's go on to two of two first. Um. Uh, Warner Brothers is now learning the same lesson Bioware did with Mass Effect sequels. The second you listen to the fans, the second you let the fans tell you what to do, they will never be happy ever again. Well, I mean, to be fair, Ryan, um, to be fair, I've never heard a lot of people call, like, as far as the air cut goes, I've never heard a lot of people calling for that, To be to be honest, And I think a part of that is because David Ayer himself has seemed pretty indifferent to it. It's like, ah, if they want to do it, great. If not, that's fine. You know, he seems to kind of have that attitude. So yeah, Uh, but I mean, there is a principle. Once you do let a, a segment of the fan base tell you what to do, they are always going to try to tell you what to do. And that's not just the DC fan base. That's every fan base. Let's be, let's be honest here. This isn't just uh, isolated to one thing. That's not just isolated to one thing. Um, it is true of all fan bases. I don't care if it's Harry Potter, Star Wars, Marvel, James Bond, whatever, you name it, it's it's gonna be there across all the fan bases too. So that that is a universal truth. That's a universal truth. That's not let's not pretend like that's just some DC fans. No, 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 no. That's that's every fan base, man. That is every fan base. All right, next up. Rick Squire writes. Which post-apocalyptic, let me try that again. Which post-apocalyptic film do you feel better predicts the future? Terminator or Idiocracy? That's easy, Idiocracy. Uh, 20 years ago, I'd have said Terminator, but now I'm anticipating there's soon going to be advanced tickets to see Ass win best picture, Idiocracy. Oh, no, no, no. Listen, it's it's totally obvious it's Idiocracy. I remember I was having this discussion probably about a year or two ago, and this goes both ways. It doesn't matter if you're politically left or politically right, because I saw the same thing playing out on both sides, right? So remember, this goes, hear me out entirely before you all get all upset, because this is just a little bit touches on politics, but hear me out before you get all upset, okay? Because I remember me and my buddy were having this conversation about it. If you just want to see that we are heading into idiocracy and that, we, forget we're heading in there. We're, we're already there. We're already there. Um, We just had, a reality TV star who has never had a single day of public service experience in his life given the highest office of public service in the world in the presidency of the United States. We just had that. We just lived four years of that. Now, before you start going thinking, well, John, that's just half of it. No, 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 no. Because a few years after that guy Reality TV star with no public service experience got elected president. Just a few years after that, remember there was that big event where Oprah gave this big passionate speech. I can't remember the event she was at, but there's, and I swear to God for like two months, there was this huge movement on the other side, Oprah for president. Really? A reality TV star, well, more talk show host, but whatever, same diff. A reality TV star with absolutely zero public service experience. You just, you want to make that president? Really? We are living in idiocracy, ladies and gentlemen. We live in idiocracy. John, you're not comparing. The- oh, yeah, I am. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I totally am. Totally am. It, it, the, the both, yeah. So it goes both ways. And, and no, no one group has a claim to idiocracy. It goes both ways. It totally goes both ways. Anyway, that's just me. Uh, next up. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, the one that more accurately predicts the future is idiocracy. All right. Peter Cunnington writes, did you hear that the Academy Awards will not be providing an option to let the winners zoom in for the show? They must appear in person and there are other dress code mandates. What are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, I, I'm totally good with dress code mandates, especially for the Oscars. I'm all good with that. But listen, if you don't want to go, don't go. There have been many, 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 many Oscar winners that were not there physically to accept their awards. It's not like they're saying you can't win unless you come. They're not saying that. If they said that, that would be completely idiotic. But there have been many Academy Award winners that were not physically there to accept the award. And hence, you get somebody saying, I'm honored to accept this award on behalf of so-and-so and so-and-so. So, I mean, that's fine. They, they can go that way. It, it, it really doesn't bother me i think they should allow them to zoom in but if they don't whatever not a big deal just have somebody else accept it for them and say we're we're honored to accept this on behalf of so-and-so for winning the academy award it's not to me it's not a big deal all right uh dakota writes blasphemy talk here daniel day lewis is a great actor but the crucible in my opinion is his weakest role i wouldn't say it's his weakest role but i'd say it's his weakest movie if not one of his weakest movies, The Crucible isn't isn't great. Is that he had the uh, Winona Ryder in that with him? Uh, anyway, I really wanted to love this movie, but it just didn't deliver on the level that 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 movie should have. His acting was good. The movie was just weak. Yes, his acting was incredible. His acting was absolutely incredible in it but it just wasn't that good of a movie. It, it, you should check it out for yourself. It's, it's set during like the Salem witch trials where one woman's like trying to frame another one. Anyway, go check it out. Denzel Washington, Winona Wright. Ry- Denzel Washington. Daniel Day-Lewis, Winona Ryder. Um, really good performances, but I agree with you, Dakota. Not the strongest movie. Not No, sir. Not the strongest movie. Uh, Angel Palma writes, I noticed that a lot of YouTubers use video footage from trailers or pictures that they find in Google when talking about movies slash video games. My question is, how do you know when you're able to use something like that without getting a copyright strike? Okay, listen, you really do need to research this fully on yours for yourself. Okay, but there is a principle known there's a doctrine in law, more of a principle in law known as fair use doctrine. Okay, fair use. Now, it's basically, in its most general terms, the idea is that you can use a piece of copywritten material for certain purposes. And I'm, it, this is overly simplifying it, so don't just take what I'm saying, go and research it more fully. But the basic idea of fair use doctrine is that under certain specific circumstances, you can use, without permission, copywritten material in terms of commentary, criticism, and education. Now, with each one of those things, there's also a whole bunch of caveats, like a whole bunch of asterisks. Like when I made my movie, Movie Trailers, a love story, I had, even though I have a legal background, I actually sat down with a co- entertainment copyright lawyer who went through my movie painstakingly, frame by frame, to tell me which things were appropriate use of fair use and which things I had to change. And there were a bunch of things I had to change my movies because I was using things that I thought fell under fair use and sometimes they didn't and I had to make changes and all that kind of stuff to make sure it properly and safely fell within fair use. So there is a general doctrine. So I would encourage you to go, it's it's a fascinating thing to learn about, Angel. Go online, Uh, there are a lot of online resources and look up application of fair use for YouTube videos. Look that up and you'll find a lot of different resources. I highly encourage you. There are ways to do it. You just got to make sure you do it properly. There's this there's this one thing, like a lot of people say, well, if I don't make money off it, then I'm allowed to use it. No, 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 no. That's a massive misconception. There's this huge idea out there that as long as you're not making money on something, you're allowed to use copywritten material. Not true. Not true at all. As a matter of fact, my movie, movie trailers, love story. I am making money off of that. I make money off my movie. Thank you everybody who's bought and rented my movie. I make money off that movie. But if I wasn't following the the rules of fair use properly and I wasn't making money on the movie, that wouldn't matter. I would still be violating copyright law. So again, it's a huge thing, but again, just go online, search up fair use YouTube, you should be able to find a lot of good resources there for that. Um, And again, it's just a far more nuanced thing than I have time to go into right now. But it's an excellent question, and good on you for even asking it, Angel. All right, Tim Platt writes, I really enjoyed Snyder's Justice League, but it teased me with something I'm probably never going to get. Zack Snyder's take on Darkseid. Darkseid is one of my favorite characters, and I think Snyder could have done something special with him. I agree. I think he could have done something special with him. But as I always say, you know, just because one one actor played a role well doesn't mean another actor couldn't play it equally or maybe even better. I think Zack Snyder would have done a really cool really cool stuff with Darkseid, but that doesn't mean he's the only director in existence who could. Another director could. Or maybe even better. Who knows? Maybe not quite as good, maybe as good, maybe a little bit better. But um, yeah, I, I never think that the guy who did the thing is the only guy who could have done the thing. Or the woman who played that role is the only woman who could have played that role. You know what I mean? So they'll do Doom or Dark Side again at some point. Maybe it won't be anywhere near as good. Maybe it'll be almost as good. Maybe it'll be as good. Maybe it'll be better. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see what they do. But yeah, I think he would have done something really interesting with Darkseid. All right, Tim Platt writes. Actually, where am I here? Okay, Tim Platt writes. Also, I've been I've been kind of on a DC animated movie binge since watching Justice League. I know you think most of them are crap. I do. I think most DC and Marvel animated stuff, I think both Marvel and DC's animated stuff is crap, generally, with some exceptions, are crap. But what are the ones that you thought were decent or good? I'm assuming Mask of the Phantasm, absolutely. Batman Mask of the Phantasm is absolutely one of those exceptions. I thought that was great. Another one is the animated version that they did Gosh, it's got to be getting close to five years ago now of they did of the Dark Knight Returns. So they took the graphic novel, the Dark Knight Returns, and they turned it into a two part animated movie. And it's really good. It's really good. Um, So and by the way, and Flashpoint, the Flashpoint animated thing they did, I also thought was pretty good. There are a couple of Marvel ones I think are okay too but yeah uh mask of the phantasm the Dark Knight Returns and flashpoint those are the ones that I actually think are are actually quite quite good um uh, some people are asking me what about like ju- uh, the Justice League war I, I wasn't I wasn't big on uh, Justice League War to be honest with you anyway Ryan Loner writes uh to the guy who asked about making good movies from bad books which was a question that came in yesterday. I have just one word, Jaws. Oh yeah, that's true. The book is absolute crap uh, that you'd swear would be unsalvageable, but in the hands of Carl uh, Gottlieb, who is the screenwriter and goat director, it's one of the greatest movies ever. Of course, Steven Spielberg was the guy who directed that. So what happened was yesterday, somebody asked the question, John, you've said before that it's really hard to make a good movie out of a bad script, but can you make a good movie out of a bad book, and I said yes because you have that—you have a middle layer of adaptation where a screenwriter can take a bad book and adapt it in such a way to make a great screenplay, and then you can make a great uh, thing out of that. And I think Ryan brings up an excellent example of Jaws. Jaws is a great example of that. So, wh- well done, well said, Ryan. All right, next up, JMeister25 writes. I think I cracked the thematic code of the MCU. Phase one is about who can be trusted with real knowledge. Phase two is about defining freedom. Phase three is about responsibility, uh, and the will to do what is necessary. Phase four so far is about fallout thoughts. Well, I mean, you can look at it like that, Jay Meister, but the reality is there are those aspects of, you know, trusting with knowledge, uh, defending freedom, uh, fallout are, are really present in all four. Like you just go back to something like Iron Man three, you can really make a solid argument that Iron Man three, which is in a completely different phase, is all about fallout. Right. Right. I mean, just look. Just looking at the Tony character himself dealing with the fallout of the experience that he has had as Iron Man. And you well forget that Tony Stark is still just a human man, right? who at the end of the first Avengers movie went through a wormhole in space and saw an invading alien armada. And that effed him up. And so we get into, into Iron Man 3 and he's dealing with these issue of PTSD. And by the way, Sean's World sends in a, a badge in the Super Chat, or a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, man. Um, we see him having these, these issues. That is definitely an issue of Fallout. I mean, Iron Man 2 can be defined as an issue of fallout because it's the fallout of what his family history has been. And so then we get the Michael Rourke, uh, character. I mean, so that kind of becomes, uh, an issue as well. So I think you, I mean, I don't think it's a bad idea, but again, you can take any of those elements and probably find them in each one of the phases at the same time. So I don't know. It's an interesting way of looking at it, though. Jay Meister. It's an interesting way of looking at it. All right. B Wayne, New York writes, Hey, John, so I wanted to clarify something I said the other day about uh, Zack Snyder Justice League being a big win for HBO Max in, and Warner Brothers hiding their shame about not putting Zack Snyder Justice League in theaters. What I meant was them not believing in Zack Snyder's vision for Justice League back in 2017, not in 2021. Okay, I remember you saying that, and yes, I thought you meant today. Like they're hiding their shame by not putting it in theaters. I'm like, "No, I don't I don't think they're hiding their shame, but you're talking about 2017." But there are a couple things you have to keep in mind. Number one, you never would have got the Zack Snyder cut that we just got on HBO Max in theaters in 2017 because no studio is going to put out a four-hour movie. It, it would have meant it would have meant box office disaster. No studio was going to put out a four-hour movie. Just what? Three hours is pushing it. Three hours is pushing it. You ain't. There wasn't going to be one that put out a four-hour movie. So there was that. You also have to keep in mind that they had just been through a couple of movies with Zack Snyder and they did not meet expectations for them. You know, they were incredibly divisive. They didn't, they underperformed what their potential was and they felt that they were going in a different direction. Now, listen, I'm not saying I agree with that now, especially after watching the Snyder cut, I I don't know what the whole point of the theatrical cut was at that point, but We can't be, we can't have short-term memories. We got to remember that this was all coming, this was all happening in a context. And the context was they had done a couple of movies with Zack Snyder. Some people like me really liked what he was doing with it, but a lot of people didn't. And that was just the financial reality. And then they, when they were making other movies outside of that, they were having more success, you know huge critical response of Wonder Woman made well over $800 million, Aquaman getting well-received, making over a billion dollars, a Joker movie making over a billion dollars, winning Oscars, and all that kind of stuff. So you can't just, you got to look at the bigger context and just go, okay, from somebody else's point of view, this could have been a little bit problematic, but it is what it is. All right. Uh, Anyway, thanks for clarifying that, B-Wayne, because you're right. I did misunderstand what you were asking, so thank you so much for clarifying that. All right. Uh, Bucky Rocks. Uh, And needs and needs meds. Writes, Uh, John. Agatha, all along intro. Did she make this video out? uh, Video of and for herself. I mean, who is responsible for making the intros to all the shows? Did everyone see what Darcy? Did everyone else see Darcy? Uh, This into two. Did you mean intro two, or was it just for us? I have a mild crush on her now. Hi, Anne. Yeah, Agatha. The Agatha all along. Here's the thing about the Agatha all along intro. I think the only person who saw the Agatha all along intro was Wanda. Because remember, she steps up to Wanda, casts the little spell. You see the little smoke. And I think she, the only person who saw that, it was Agatha all along intro. I think Wanda was the only person that saw it. Now, I'm not 100% sure about that. Now, let me ask you guys in the live chat. We've got several thousand of you guys in the live chat right now. Do you think the Agatha all along intro was broadcast? Or do you think that was something only Wanda could see? Uh, say only Wanda or everyone. So just fire that in, into the, the chat board. So we got Thomas J is the first one to respond. He says only Wanda saw it. Yeah, I I think that too. I was saying, yeah, only Wanda saw it. Um, Wanda, only Wanda. Yeah, okay, so... Oh, no, no, we got uh, CJ is saying that he thought it was broadcast. A lot of other people are saying only one, absolutely, only for one, only one. Yeah, okay, so yeah, so that's that's that. As far as the other intros, I don't know, maybe that was just kind of a part of her fantasy. Uh, the Vision, Richard, Bill, David, Paco, Matt, uh, Jeremy, uh, Lord Vanderkill, everybody else writing in. Uh, some people, yeah, saying the broadcast ended, that's a good thing. Yeah, so apparently, I think most people agree, it was probably just only wanted that that was made for Uh, As far as the other intros, I think that was just a part of Wanda's fantasy was having that be the intro for her own show. I don't know, but I think the Agatha part is pretty clear. All right. Thanks for writing that in, Bucky Rocks. Uh, Kara Black writes, where am I on this? Oh, yeah. okay. Kara Black writes, uh, on the companion video from Monday, Dad Jokes said that the new Captain America is the same guy Sam saved in the opening action. Yeah, that, yeah but that was inaccurate. Uh, that is 100% false as the, the guy Sam saved is named Cass, Captain Vasant while the new Captain America's real name is John Walker. Yes, Um, so that, yeah, that is true. I remember somebody wrote that and I said, really, is that supposed to be him? So I don't know. Maybe it's a, listen, they could say it's a code name, but upon watching it a second time, it clearly also didn't look like the same guy. Like that wasn't Kurt Russell's son at at the beginning that he saved. That was clearly not Kurt Russell's son that he saved at the beginning. So I think you are absolutely right, uh, about that. Uh, I think you're absolutely right about that, Kara. Okay. Next up, uh, Brian Esparza writes one of two. I disagree that Wanda had a more tragic life than Bucky. After his fall, Bucky was kidnapped by the enemy. He sir uh, uh, he served to fight against. Then they hijacked his mind and body and used him as a puppet for decades. All while he was conscious to some degree. I remember all of them. He knew, what he was doing, but was completely helpless from stopping himself. I can't imagine whether it'd be like to murder dozens or hundreds when you have no control, then suffers ramifications for years to come. Hey, listen, Brian, you make a good argument. You make a really good argument. So for those of you who haven't been following, um for those of you haven't been following, there's been a-, a lot of discussion lately about really I mean, since WandaVision was all about dealing with loss and tragedy and really WandaVision itself is about one woman coming to terms with her grief. The the topic has come up of who's the more tragic figure? Wanda or Bucky? And I and I think like you just pointed out Brian, I think there are strong arguments to be made. I still fall on the side of Wanda. And and the reason I fall on the side of Wanda Maybe for a reason, and by the way, the comedic genius, uh, sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you. Comedic genius. Appreciate that. Um, the reason I still think it's Wanda is because when you look at Bucky prior to the war, Bucky had a good life. He had friends, he had family. Um, he had all that stuff. He had all that stuff. He had by every intense, he had a really good life up until his adult life, right? And then a lot of crap, and then a lot of crap. Wanda, on the other hand, um, Wanda, on the other hand, is, and by the way, John Burt sends in a super chat badge in live chat. Thank you, John. Wanda, on the other hand, never had that. She never had a good life. She was born into a war-torn country. We're just looking out the front window where there was gunfights going on. There were machine gun battles going on. And then as a young child, a bomb destroyed her home, killing her parents with her there in the room. Moving on from there, being radicalized, joining Hydra, being used in scientific experiments, losing her brother, blah, blah. I mean, so I would contend... And I think there's a good argument to be made for Bucky. I do. I just I just kind of the tipping factor for me is the idea that Bucky up to a certain point actually had a pretty good life. He had the American life. And then it all went to shit. Whereas, um, whereas Wanda never had got to have that. I mean, her life was tragedy from day one that she was born. So I don't know. I don't know. I guess there are different ways of looking at it. Uh, By the way, uh, Javier Hernandez sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Javier. I appreciate that, man. All right. Next up. Uh, Let's see here. Kara Black writes, John, you and Kimberly remember the Dark Knight incorrectly. After interrogating the Joker for the locations of Harvey and Rachel, Gordon asks Batman which one he is going after. Uh, to which he specifically replied with one word, Rachel, not Harvey Dent. True, but I think the movie implies that he then changed his mind. I think that was all given as a setup to to misdirect us as the audience. I think then what is implied in the movie is that uh, Batman then thought better of it and thought his responsibility was to save Harvey first. At least that's how I interpreted it. Now, I could be wrong. I, I I have not gone back to watch The Dark Knight again in the last 24 hours to see if that's correct or not. But I think that was clearly implied by the way, Sylvester Young sends in a super chat badge. Thanks Sylvester. Um, so yeah, I, I think I personally think the, the movie just implied that he then changed his mind. There was, I don't remember. And again, I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I don't, uh, remember anything being said in the movie that the Joker tricked him into rescuing the wrong person. And again, it's it's been half a beat since I watched The Dark Knight, so maybe I'm not remembering that right. Could be, but I don't remember there being anything said in the movie that says, "Well, you know, Harvey, I I didn't mean to save you. I actually meant to save Rachel, but I got there and it was you." I I don't remember that. Like maybe there is something in there, but uh, to me, the implied thing was that he made, the Batman made the responsible decision, which was to save Harvey Dent. At least that's how I took it. Could be wrong. Uh, Could be wrong. Okay, anyway. Next up, uh, who is? That was Kara Black. Next up, we've got Tony Larios, who writes, I had little expectations for Zack Snyder's Justice League, and wow, it blew me the F away, uh, this is coming from someone that thought Batman versus Superman and Man of Steel were okay. Uh, After watching it twice now, it's undoubtedly in my top 10 comic book movies of all time. Absolute masterpiece. And that's the thing, you know? it's That's the beautiful thing about these movies and about movies in general. It's all subjective. You know, we've had some people writing in today saying they they think it's overrated. We've had some people writing in today saying it's a masterpiece. That's the beautiful thing about film. It all hits us in different ways, and I'm glad you had that experience, Tony. All right, next up. Uh, B.K. Dan writes, Hey, John and Co., have you seen slash heard that Brad Wright has been saying he's working with MGM to do another Stargate series? I have heard about that. Yes. For those that don't know, it was a series really big from Canada in uh, from 1999 to 2013. Thank you and keep bringing on the filthy. I mean, they've done several iterations of Stargate. Of course, you go back to the original movie. Um, was it Kurt Russell? I think it was Kurt Russell in the original. James Spader and Kurt Russell. Help Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. The original movie was, was James Spader and Kurt Russell, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so there there was that and then of course and sam is telling me yes that, that is the the thing okay so thanks sam um so then we had the series with richard dean anderson which was really fun i really liked that star. it was very it was low budget i mean it was very very low budget but i thought it was quite fun so then we had that series and then we said the stargate atlantis series which is where jason momoa aquaman came from I mean, he was around before that, but that's where everybody really got to know who this Jason Momoa kid is. So Jason Momoa was in Stargate Atlantis, and then they did another one in Stargate Universe. And then I don't know if it's still around, but do you guys remember they even then started an all Stargate streaming network? Do you remember that? Like before Disney Plus and before Paramount Plus and before Apple TV Plus, remember they were, they got off the ground and all 24-hour Stargate streaming service. you remember this? I don't think it's around anymore. I could be wrong about that. I think it was very, very short-lived. Um, but, yeah, I heard that they may be trying to get another Stargate going. And you know what? Hey, if you can come up with something good, awesome. The whole myth- mythos of the Stargate and all that kind of stuff is very interesting. There's a lot of stuff you could do there. So... Let's see. Oh, that's what it was called. Donnie Pearson is saying Stargate Command. That was the name of it. Stargate Command. Um, so a- anyway, I would be, hey, if they come up with a good idea and want to try another Stargate, I'm down for it. I'll check it out. All right. ZMG Ruler rights. um... Zack's Justice League was great. I don't care what uh, Sarnoff said. Hashtag restore restore the Snyderverse uh, trended 170,000 plus tweets. Why not let Zack do his remaining two movies exclusively on HBO Max while Hamada does his theatrical plan? They could make it for $100 million. This isn't over in my opinion. It's over. I mean, the only thing that, that can change is if Warner Brothers changed their minds, but they're they're sounding pretty definitive on it. And by the way, here's the thing too: you got to keep this in mind. And I said the same thing. You remember a few years ago, there was they were trying to get something going about Captain America. And I'm trying to remember specifically what it was, but a bunch of fans were trying to get something to do with Captain America, and they had like 200,000 things. That's so like you do realize that at a mo- average movie ticket price of ten dollars, those 200,000 signatures equal million in box office in a world where these movies are making 200 or or these movies are making $2 billion. You're talking about 2 million, 170,000 retweets. That equals $1.7 million in box office terms. So whether it's Marvel or DC, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, What's the return on investment? And by the way, it would cost more than a hundred million dollars it would cost well more than $100 million. Far more than $100 million. They had to spend $70 million just to finish what Zack Snyder had already shot. Like, just to put the the finishing touches on it, they had to spend $70 million. You think they could make a Justice League 2 for $100 million? You're insane. You're insane. Either that or they lowball it and then everybody gets pissed off that they didn't give Zack Snyder enough budget to do it, right? So, um, yeah, it's easy for us to say, like I said before, we are all, myself included, we are all experts on what other people should do with their money. We're all experts on what other people should do with their their money. But again, never forget, we live in a world where Jamie Foxx is coming back to play electro. The most impossible thing is happening in this world we live in. So there is always that. There is always that. Never forget that. All right, next up, James L.H. writes, Hi, John, here's an anniversary for you. A date that would end up changing many lives. I'm talking about the 22nd of March. Oh, yes, this is true. I remember this came up yesterday. Somebody told me about this. I'm like, seriously? Uh, March 22nd, which is obviously yesterday, 1976. That's 45 years since cameras started rolling on the first of three of the greatest films of all time, Star Wars. Yep. I mean, it is is crazy. Yesterday marked the 45th anniversary of the first day of filming on the Star Wars movie. This little sci-fi movie that could, that nobody wanted to give a chance, that studios rejected. And here we are, 45 years later, still talking about it. Actually, that's a great one to bring up, James L.H. Well done, man. All right. Stoner Watch Productions writes, hey, John. I was wondering if Falcon and Winter Soldier takes place six months after Endgame. I think, I believe it's three months after Endgame. I believe, I I could be wrong, but correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but I believe in the show, they specifically say it's been three months since everybody came back. Anyway, if Falcon and Winter Soldier takes place three months after Endgame, um, oh no, some people are saying it's six months. Wait a second, no, was it six? I thought he specifically said Three months, but I'm but you guys are correcting me. It's sick. Okay, I stand corrected. I really thought it was three. I thought specifically he said three months, but I will take your guys' word for it. Okay, six months. Six months it is, half a year. Okay, thank you guys. This is why it's great to have the community here. All right, uh, I was wondering if Falcon Winter Soldier takes place six months after Endgame. And Wanda Vision takes place weeks after Endgame. Why wasn't there any mention of Wanda in Falcon and Winter Soldier? I guess the question would be, why would there have been? Why would there have been? This this would have been five or six months later. Um, why would Wanda have been mentioned? I mean, why wasn't Black Widow mentioned? I mean, she had just died six months ago. Why was there no mention of Black Widow? Well, there was no need to bring her up. I mean, I guess this is one of the things about the shared cinematic universes, whether you're talking about DC or Marvel, whatever. Everybody wants everybody mentioned all the time. And everybody, why didn't Superman show up? Why didn't Thor come and help? You know? I guess there was no point or no reason why Wanda would have been brought up in that. So, yeah, I mean, they also didn't mention, uh, there was no mention of the Guardians of the Galaxy. There was no mention of Thor. There was no mention of, uh, you know, anybody else. Uh, so I, I'm not really sure why they would, I guess that's the bigger question. Stoner. Watch Why would they have brought up Wanda in what context would Wanda have been brought up or mentioned or in what way, where would it have been relevant? So anyway, that's my, that's kind of my approach. I kind of approach it the opposite way of you stoner. All right, next up. Russell Amador writes, Hey, John. Imagine just how awesome it would have been to see Superman's not impressed scene in theaters in 2017 as what's originally intended. That scene would have caused an epic roar with fellow moviegoers, if only. Well, here's the thing. I don't know if that's true because Man of Steel taught me something. Uh, Man of Steel taught me a lesson that uh, is still difficult for me to accept, which is not everybody appreciates Superman or thinks has the appreciation for this Superman that I do and that you clearly do. Right? Like man of steel to me is an absolute. I think it's much better than, than justice league. I think it's by far the best DCU movie. Um, I, there have been other DCU movies that were more, way more successful than anything else. Zack Snyder's done, but I still believe Zack Snyder made the definitive best movie in the DCU with man of steel. But what man of steel also taught me was that not everybody appreciated that vision of, of Superman the way I think that that vision of Superman should be appreciated. Um, and so yes, that scene in Snyder cut justice league, when this Superman sails in front of, uh, Steppenwolf and just lets him hit him, hit him with his, um, his ax and go, I'm not impressed, bitch you know, that is going to send somebody like me into a frenzy. But the reality is there are so many people that do not properly appreciate this iteration of Superman that I don't know that they would have had the same reaction. Um, So there's that. It is still one of the biggest mysteries to me why more people don't appreciate Man of Steel, but that's just me. That's just me, whatever. It's all subjective. It's all good. We all love different things. We all have things hit us in different ways that we appreciate or don't appreciate. We all have different experiences with movies, so it's all good. But I just really wish more people in the world appreciated Man of Steel for the genius piece of uh, film that it is. All right, last question of the day, guys. Then we're going to wrap today up. This one comes to us from Sergeant Ward, who writes... Apparently, the Steven Spielberg movie about his childhood, uh, its really, I think it's more supposed to be about his mother. I think this movie that he's making is really more supposed to be about his mom, who I have met. Um, and anyway, when uh, she recently passed away, apparently the Steven Spielberg movie about his childhood now has Seth Rogen. Yes, Seth Rogen as Spielberg's uncle. I'm looking forward uh, to this movie. If you look up Spielberg's life, you'll see he had a rough childhood and you can see why he would want to make this. Well, he also, he loved his mother. Um, my former, uh, entertainment lawyer, I, I used to have a lawyer specifically for entertainment, particularly when I was making uh, my movie, the anniversary, because he represented my movie when I, when I sold it. And so he was actually close friends with the Spielberg family. And he's the one who brought me to Steven Spielberg's Steven Spielberg's mother's restaurant and his mother was a world renowned pianist and musician spielberg's mother was and anyway so this my my impression is that this movie is really for spielberg a love letter to the life of his mother and it i think it's it's an it's obviously a very personal movie for him it's it's going to be obviously a very deep passion it's going to be a passion project for him and i think uh he's going to probably put more effort into this movie than any movie he's ever made in his life. And I personally love the addition of Seth Rogen. I have grown to appreciate him more, not just as the stoner comedian, but as an overall performer, I've come to appreciate him more and more over the years. So I I think it's a really, would I have guessed that he would have cast Seth Rogen in that role? No, but am I really intrigued by that casting? Absolutely. Uh, So I think that's going to be really interesting. So uh, we'll see where that goes. All right, guys, listen, There are more questions to come. So we've got um, Jeff Hill, uh, King Kong, Megatron, and others still to come. Do not worry, guys. We're almost caught up here. So we will start off with those questions on tomorrow's show. And you guys continue to can send in more, and they'll be answered pretty quickly uh, once we get into the show tomorrow. But that will do it, guys. For today's long installment of the John Campy Show, thank you so much for being here and making this show a part of your day. Special thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for being here and bringing his glory and goodness. And a special thank you to all you guys who sent in those live questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported the channel as you did it. And all of us here involved in the show, thank you guys very, very much for that support. Again, we'll be back tomorrow at 10 a.m. for the next installment of the John Campia Show. Robert Meyer Burnett will be here with me again. So don't forget, guys, in the meantime, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.